Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello and welcome to another Y Press Play. This time we're talking about Metropolitan from 1990. And with us in studio, we have uh, the one and only uh, Nazi warrior himself, <laughs> uh, radio producer, uh, uh, former comedian, and all around, uh, uh, I think, a Dublin debutante, uh, Gareth Stack. I will fight you on the beaches. <laughs> I will fight you on the water. He's a, I will fight you on the microphone, Gordon. <laughs> he's a hot Dubliner, is what he is. And, I wish. Uh, uh, you're very welcome to the show, man. Thank you, sir. Uh, I I do I do like your your I think fanciful taste in movies. I asked him to <laughs> pick a couple. I asked him to pick a couple of movies, and he's all like, "Oh yes, there's this uh, a, a Korean silent movie that you know." <laughs> you put the kibosh on the the really edgy stuff. Yeah, I think uh, some people aren't able for it yet. But uh, Metropolitan, uh, I think, like when I started watching, I was like, "This is a bit shit." Like all the movies <laughs> that we have on this <laughs> on this show, <laughs> it's, oh, it, you. it began as moderately shite and uh, there are really really nice little um, kind of appealing pieces to it uh, the way the mistakes are almost as endearing as the uh, successes and uh, the characters at the start are it's kind of all one amorphous blob of uh, uh, privilege and white elitism <laughs> and then eventually like they all separate into their own uh, characters like a, a, some kind of a posh power ranger that's how I've always described myself yeah a- amorphous blob of privilege and white elitism <laughs> Yeah, that's that's going to be on your headstone. <laughs> um, yeah, so I mean, uh, uh, like on White Press Play, we try to find the movies uh, that you can watch. So you spend uh, less time choosing and more time actually watching the fucking things. Uh, we've gone through a lot of stuff now from like 80s and 90s horror, uh, some sci- old science fiction movies, some dramas that you might overlook. And Metropolitan, where it wouldn't be my first choice for a movie, definitely. I This is like one of the uh, epitomizing uh, choices for the team or the purpose of this show because I would look at that and go fuck that bullshit <laughs> I would never watch this in, in my in my days so how did you come across this movie that's a good question I've no idea you have no idea I've no answer it's to one that of question. those it's, it's not it's not like a, it's not like a, a, you know your mates are just around and it's like film students it seems like something film students would would watch as an example of like a first movie you know it won it, it was nominated for like literally dozens of awards and it got an Oscar nomination for its uh, its screenplay I, well, like I grew up loving Woody Allen movies, yeah. And I think when you're into that kind of verbal, witty, um, situation comedy, whatever kind of, uh, um, what's what's the term for it? Um, kind of a drawing room um, piece, yeah. Then there's nothing else for you. What are you going to watch? You watch your Woody Allen, and then there's nothing. And then I guess I came across this movie, and it's sort of like the it all of the most extreme aspects of Woody Allen, right? The intellectualism, the pretension, the characters who are unselfaware and kind of amusingly so, and incredibly witty. Yeah. And it's turned up to eleven, um, and so for me, it's it's far. It's almost a farce. Yeah. Some of them are like uh, some of the Woody Allen movies are kind of like a traditional paradigm of cinema that's like farcified or farcical you know which is easier to consume 
than something like this where Whit Stillman will come in and he, he wrote it himself, he directed it himself. And because he wrote and directed it, it's kind of all from from his point of view, the same way as Woody Allen would do. But this guy wasn't, I don't think, like a proper like super film student type. He wasn't like a movie buff, whereas Woody Allen is... He's the film student's film student or whatever. He's the he's the director's director. And uh, I think I think Whit Stillman would disagree with you, but I think you're right. I think he yeah. doesn't have the technical acumen of somebody like Woody Allen. Yeah. Woody Allen can turn around tomorrow and he'd be, he could be like, I want to, want to make a Western and he would know exactly how to do it. It yes. would be easy for him. Because he studied that stuff and he knows the, the mechanics and how it works. Like his new one, uh, B- B- Blue Velvet. Was that it? Uh, Blue Jasmine. Blue Jasmine, that's the one. Like, that's that's that could stand next to any of those other modern films, whereas he's kind of put in as a a 70s, early 80s uh, uh, kind of a director that is not able to mature or has fallen off, as they would say. Like, he's well able to swing with the the modern dudes Mm. and uh, the Apatows and whatever that that Blue Jasmine was. And it still had that inimitable like Woody Allen fucking dreary misery versus like <laughs> um but but with Stillman came out of the gates here with with nothing it's 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 a movie that is more um more like a Jane Austen novel mm. and I don't mean like an adaptation of a Jane Austen novel it's like it, literally if somebody gave Jane Austen a director's chair yeah. got a few of her mates and stuck her in front of a camera make a movie Jane Austen and yeah. here's what she be so it's, it's it, on first view and I can see how you might have that reaction like yes. what the hell am I watching this is you know, pictures of of people talking as the, the old kind of uh, insult for movies where, which didn't have a lot of crazy cinematography. But it has a charm which is unique. Yes. And in a way, it's much more charming than any Woody Allen movie because they're always quite cynical in a different way. And there's a darkness that you pointed out there about, yeah. about his view of the world that isn't here. This is this is a charmingly reactionary film. Yeah, it, it seems like it's something that he lived with at, at a certain point in his life or yeah. is, is from a personal experience. It did take him four years to write between 1984 and 1988. It was made in 89 and released in 1990. Like, this was the the time of the, uh, you know, white New York elites. This was was Reagan's time. It was uh, definitely a a movie of the moment, which I think makes it have that much more cultural significance and why probably your mates who may be film students or at least art students have been exposed to this and that's maybe where you got it from you know yeah i I think like um this it's even at the time it was released it was a very retro film like it's not set in the 80s it's set in this like nebulous somewhere between the 50s and the 80s and they would have made it earlier more visually but they didn't have the money yeah so instead it says, they, it says that these little there's these little uh, uh what are they like uh talking you know the talkie movies charlie chaplin cards yeah it says yeah. like sometime new york city manhattan which is taken right ago. from woody allen woody allen does that in a bunch very of his movies so, yeah. and the music is very woody allen as well but um so so i think he would he's the kind of guy who would have ha- hated the 80s and and the, mm. the new money in manhattan in the 80s sure yeah it's you know it's it's quite new money and all that stuff but it's not the culture he's talking about is the the old elite new york people yeah. who would have despised your trumps and your you know your thatcherite loads of money characters mm. so these kind of people who consider themselves very cultured they call themselves in the film the urban haute bourgeoisie which is ludicrous but what they get i guess that they're not aristocrats but they're the elite the, yeah. the traditional old rockefeller style like snobby money or the, the children of that yeah. And they live in their own world where everyone is the same age as them. They're all like 16 to 20 and they're all going to these little debutante balls and having their high tea and doing mescaline. And shit like that. That's the thing. It, it, it does seem like very much removed from that and I've ever yeah. experienced, which is a nice window into how it goes on. I, I could only imagine that that's how it was. 
I have no reason to believe it wasn't. <laughs> so therefore, you know, movie magic, people. But um, the the way that uh, it was presented to me was like, ah, here's a movie, and it's like, you know, it's cool. It's like you said it, like, yeah, yeah, it's like, yeah, it's cool. It's like an art thing. It's kind of something about Christmas. It's set around Christmas time, uh, because they go to all of these debutante balls at Christmas time. So like, yeah, it's cool. It's cool. Check it out. And I'm watching it like for the first fifteen minutes. I'm like. This is like somebody's fucking home movies, man. This is, <laughs> you know, everything's at eye level. Uh, everyone is in at the same time. It has, you have like, it, 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 it kind of has that, um, a play that got turned into a movie. Or you can see the script. I said that about the movie uh, Calgary, mm-hmm. uh, starring uh, Brendan Gleeson. And it's about, you know, a, a priest who's faced with a murderer in, in the west of Ireland. Marvellous film. Really, really good. But when I watched that film... I was looking at that going, I can see the script. I can see the whole script. People were saying stuff that didn't sound natural. There was like little quips and stuff like that. that oh I, yeah, but that's not a naturalistic, it's not meant to be natural. But I, I was, there's parts of it that really are and then it breaks that. And I know it is purposefully broken. Yeah, yeah. I, but I've heard that, this criticism of that weird. film and I think yeah. it's like, they're totally not getting the film. Cal- well, going off on one, but Calgary is a is set in a very heightened world. Calgary yeah. is a strange, dreamlike film, much more so than this film. But this has a little bit of that. This is not the real world. We're watching the world that I think Quit Stillman would like to have been in. Yeah. When 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 he was maybe a kid or when he was graduating school and probably knew people who were vaguely like this. And this is like his imagined Dr- Jane Austen style. Wouldn't it be lovely oh, yeah, if these kind of people existed? Kind of yeah. yeah manufactured world but the the director for for calgary like john michael mcdonough who's making a, a movie not dissimilar to this kind mm-hmm. of team which is like that exaggerated definitely manufactured world all based on these global stereotypes mm-hmm. that are that are pres- presumed of those people so it's like yeah. a bunch of country irish people you know a farmer yeah. a, a young confirmed bachelor who's a bit unhinged uh, you know a, a, a fat priest who's like why is with the world was he got put out on this craggy island away from everybody <laughs> and that whole thing with john mike mcdonough's like brain he is he's re- real like modern sharp guy like and i can see him right now going yeah that's a real cool thing to say and not having like purposefully putting in a, a, a stupid line that sounds like something that a, a lethal weapon a, a bad guy would say walking away from mm-hmm. a dead body and you're like that doesn't match with this style and this movie metropolitan it i think is full of those kind of things there's uh there's nick smith uh who's played by chris eigeman uh, uh one of the like the main characters and kind of i think the the boy you love to hate there's some of the stuff that he says like you're like jesus man that's really odd it's odd to come out of somebody from your caliber or your stature in, in, in society. There's another guy, Charlie Black, played by Taylor Nichols, who's like this uh, a naysaying, uh, doomsaying, uh, uh, you know, society societal commentator who's predicting the downfall of the bourgeoisie. And and some of the stuff that he's saying is su- like hyper self-aware, almost to the point of like self-criticism mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Or, or even like, like white guilt, you know, which at the time, I guess, was he was speaking for that part of society. So you can see the... The building blocks that that Stillman was putting together to go like I want this nice to be a nice and balanced cast with something to say. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They are precocious. They're pre- yes. Every single character has something different. Yeah. Well, I, I, yeah. I think there's a criticism that can be made, which is that they are all kind of spouting the witticisms of the the writer. Yeah. But for me, the you film, can see you can see the script. Gareth. Oh like yeah, no, absolutely. absolutely. And it's like all and the I like characters. That, though. It's like a play. It's but it's more. It's like yeah. It's like a, an Oscar Wilde play. Yeah. It's the characters aren't there to represent real people. They're there to give voice to this kind of witty dialogue and create this lovely little world, yeah. which is at times cynical and ironic and all the rest. It, and if you look at it from that point of view, 
then it succeeds if you look at it like a film trying to portray real people it's like an alien came to earth and tried to make a film about humans and that's where (laughs) when i started watching i was like cool 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 about seven minutes in i was like what fucking shit is this bullshit (laughs) and i i I even marked it on the thing at 13 minutes and 45 seconds i stopped it and i went for a piss and on the way down down back down the stairs i went oh yeah that's what it is it's meant to be shite like that's okay i just want to i just want to protest the the, the use of the word shite. this isn't like birdemic you know no, this no, isn't no. clumsy filmmaking no, it's no, just no. very simple filmmaking exactly it's it, and i think the style of the time it, 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 it is this is before i mean i know we had the alien and we had uh you know a very big like big budget movies like we haven't had our lethal weapon yet mm-hmm. we haven't had these like uh simply made simply shot uh you know action or or like character development movies where you're putting out these people that are like very much like real people but they represent a section of Mm -hmm. of society it was more here's a story here's like one little story and i'm going to expand that character Mm -hmm. as much as i can this was like a a, an art film that got into the mainstream yeah and the the descendants of this movie aren't aren't your lethal weapons they're your mumblecore movies you know your hannah take the stairs your funny ha ha uh the stuff that that there's one coming out more recently now with aubrey plaza in it which is very much of this style cut cut you mean um what's it ingrid goes west yes ingrid goes west is very much that's much more cinematic i just saw that the other night it it and it's made to be like that to appeal but the character and how the story is told is very much like this yeah I, I think there's some commonality but like this is so this is anti-cinema this is so there's not a Simple. single scene the most yeah. action-packed scenes are a couple of punches which yeah. are delivered like willfully badly yeah by, by an awkward <laughs> team yeah, yeah. The, the punch sound right so what I think we like to do on White Press today before we go too deep is uh, uh, the 60 second plot I'm going to tell you about some social stuff before that and then we get in and Garrett is going to give us his best day of fanning <laughs> <laughs> describing the movie in 60 seconds so if you want to talk about anything that we uh, talk about on the show or you want to get in on the social and have the chance yourself uh, you can email me at info at whitepressplay.com uh, with anything you like just no you know genitals or whatever because uh, <clears throat> the current climate or what have you uh, if you wanted to get in, in touch with me or other people who enjoy the show or just who, people who like movies get onto Facebook Twitter uh, Pinterest we have uh, an Instagram we also have a Reddit or slash whitepressplay and all the stuff all the links for all of these movies and any little reviews and stuff that I can find online are ones that I do myself I'm going to throw them up there and uh, we also have a Discord server where we can go hang out and talk about movies or computer games or TV shows uh, we also have a Twitch channel where I will be playing uh, PlayStation uh, Steam and Nintendo and Mega Drive games uh, streaming them through Twitch so you can join in watch along play along yourself even if you uh, if you have a PSID you can send it to me in an email and I'll add you to my uh, to my group and uh, all of those things can be seen uh, in their exclusivity on a lifeblood of the show at patreon.com so patreon.com slash why press play uh, will get you exclusive behind the scenes videos and clips uh, outtakes from the shows get you early access into uh, different videos and certain live chats we do when we get together and all watch a movie together and have the chats about it uh, patreon.com slash why press play you can start from uh, two dollars a month and uh, it donates to the show it keeps the lights on around here and keeps uh, tea in the mugs and sandwiches in the belly so if you feel if you're feeling generous and you like the show uh, give it a shout there we also have a sister podcast those conspiracy guys i guess if you're listening to this you've probably heard that um if this is your first uh, dalliance with me and my voice uh, I, I have a conspiracy show where we talk about uh, you know politics society culture and uh, you know pedophiles and and ghosts and werewolves and 
you know aliens and shit like that so you can get over to thoseconspiracyguys.com and check out all the crack over there uh subscribe to this on your podcast app um we are on everything basically if you're on apple right now and having trouble with your podcast app like i am i'm fucking my phone is like a a hobo stove in my pocket whenever i turn on the podcast app it hates my battery so there are other apps like uh leela uh overcast uh podcast addict um cast box any of those ones so if you aren't on itunes but you do have an itunes account uh the whole reason for giving you those other apps is if you go into itunes and leave us a review be it however many stars you want leave us a review leave us a rating it drives us up in the charts it makes itunes feel better i don't really mind but uh it will it will help out the show if you should so wish so uh, we're going to get back into it with gareth 60 second synopsis of the movie can i just say based on your blurb there i just love the idea of a squad that hunts aliens ghosts werewolves and also pedophiles yeah <laughs> there's a be, show it would be effective because like <laughs> i mean you're not hunting a ped- you're not hunting like a werewolf five days a week it could just be one day a week so you just have to diversify Get just, every fifth episode Monday, of the show it's go. like it's a monster of the week and this week's monster it's joseph fritzl he's escaped from jail he's at it like oh the tone really shifted this episode they pull the mask off him and it's all like oh it's old man fritzl and i would have done it too if not for that damn daughter <laughs> yeah I, i'm just um my head is full of uh, BBC pedophiles at the moment because I'm studying for the Jimmy Shat. Been Jimmy's. climbing in your ear to escape the uh, Operation yeah, Nutri. The Jimmy Savile episode, right? You'll now. be safe behind his eyes. Oh man, it's it's. You don't want to be doing that last thing at night. Is all I'm saying to you. Really, it's uh, it's hardcore. It's hard to sleep with a horn. It's oh, fucking hell. <laughs> it's probably already been released by the time this show goes out. But uh, yeah, go and check it out. It's Jimmy Savile and the, the the BBC pedophiles and a bit of Pizzagate and a bit of Elsa Gate and a bit of all of these. That Elsa Gate thing is oh, weird. weird. I did a little bit of it at our live show. Oh and my god! Uh, I just came across the that audience myself recently. Like, Fuck! That's not some of those. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned this to me before when we were talking before a show, like about the uh, you know the crazy stuff on YouTube. And then recently, I came across a whole bunch of stuff, and I'm like, Where there is something really strange. There's actually videos, videos of child abuse online, and people yeah, are putting and, it and stuff that, as you said, like it's not directly illegal, but yeah. it is really tonally off. Their kids being filmed weekly by their own families yeah. or sometimes by some mysterious people that probably aren't their family and they're not doing anything explicit yeah. but there is some creepy vibe yeah. to that shit it's yeah, very much it's not right so uh b- before we get too dark <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah before before we go too crazy um we're going to go to gareth with the 60 second plot uh, you can spoil it if you like. I don't think there's many spoilers in this. It's nah, more, it's not it's that more kind of like thing. no. Um, but you can you can give us the sixty seconds. Starting from the start, there is love stories. There is you know violence. There's uh, uh, you know social <laughs> social uh, exclusion and uh, obviously uh, white elitism. So here's the sixty second plot uh, from Garrett, and your time starts now so young Tom Townsend is leaving the first debutante ball of the season somehow he's rented a tuxedo he's managed to get himself to this ball but he doesn't know anybody as he's leaving a group known as the Sally Fowler Rat Pack another group of uh, young privileged white people as Gordo pointed out pick him up in their taxi bring him along to an after party and he gets in with them so the film just follows their quote unquote adventures as they banter back and forth at a series of after parties in different upper west side apartments and uh, condescend to Tom who is a poor upper east side boy from a family of wealth but they've lost that money 
And uh, yeah, so nothing really happens. It's just wit, wisdom, entertainment, Jane Austen, Jeeves and Worcester style stuff. There's a little bit of violence as the wicked Rick Von Sloniker tries to steal some women from the group. And they are ultimately, well, there's a big conclusion where they go to the Hamptons. And a, a big conclusion in this movie. It's like the smallest conclusion yeah, in any yeah. film. If you like witty banter, that's time your up, movie. Time up. That was, that was one of the... <laughs> That was one of the best six to sell. Fucking he's like, he timed it, this cunt. That's fucking brilliant. I said, you know, I had my notes. I didn't look at them once. Love it. I didn't love it. Freeball it. Uh, yeah, that was one of the best ones ever. <laughs> but it's not that hard of a movie, but not no. taken away from your excellent, excellent Given that, given that nothing happens in the movie, it's pretty easy to summarize. Exactly. It's like talking about a fucking episode of Seinfeld. So you talked about uh, uh, Tom Townsend. Uh, uh, unfortunately, ginger gentleman. Who, <laughs> like yourself. Who, well, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm brown hair, a ginger beard, <laughs> black chest hair, and wh- snow white pubes. You're a miasma. What's it? Oh, uh, uh, gri- a gif- griffin? I, I, I think it's called a piebald. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so he, he's, leaving a, he's leaving a debutante ball. Yeah. Now, as far as I can understand, a debutante ball is something that, and I haven't looked this up, now this is my own presumption, is something that the rich kids of rich people parents do when they come home for their Christmas holidays where they have these little uh, oh yeah we're going to a ball over at the uh, the, Do- the Dorchester's mansion where there's like different hotels and stuff all over town where they would have debutante balls and certain colleges then would host those events and and you know at the end of the movie you're talking about like oh here's one uh, uh, in in one of the famous New York hotels and it's actually being televised and stuff <laughs> yeah. like that so is, yeah. is that is that like well, well back a, back a, in the day like you know hundreds of years ago yeah. 18th 17th century a, what a debutante ball was when to get it, him to fuck to get him to meet and ride well it was when a young woman was introduced to society so right. they'd hit 16 or 17 or whatever it was <gasps> and the debutante ball is the, their first ball her blooding right right <laughs> Jesus that's what they call it so no? so they're, these are aristocrats yeah. and like it's literally introducing them to the high society right. so they're not expected to marry anyone immediately it's sort of it is putting them on the market so to speak though. Right. and now then at the time this is kind of set 50s 60s in new york it was a replication of that so just rich people letting their kids have fun in tuxes and stuff because all the stuff about selling your daughter had pretty much gone away by that point but they still wanted to be able to go and have a party but have some element of decorum so that you don't end up with like a paris hilton type who's out fucking sucking a yard it's it's also more than that it's like it's introducing them into the world of high society where all your inference and power comes from and your you know your we were talking earlier about bill gates's mum got him that contract with ibm by having a chat with someone who was on her board of some charity that's where this stuff is happening people are getting introduced to the right people like a bourgeoisie inculcation literally it's almost, it's an initiation ceremony yeah right and um it's it's more female focused so uh like the rose of tralee in ireland you have <laughs> these beautiful women in their in their in their i think cocktail dresses there's a certain special name on the dresses and they would uh, they'd land in but they'd have to have an escort and the escort was invariably somebody else from high society and they'd probably pair up or whatever mm-hmm. and uh, tom townsend was tasked with because of his family's you know previous wealth he was tasked with being the uh the uh the, the arm candy for for one of the girls uh in the group and as he was leaving as you said they pull up in a taxi they're going to one of these after parties in in one of these uh beautiful new york uh, uh you know uh, high society houses mm-hmm. where they all just basically just sit around and smoke long cigarettes and have like <laughs> yeah. a, a gin and tonic and pretend to talk like daddy does you know leaning over the fireplace into the fire going 
oh the stock market eh bunny and like, even in the world of the movie they're very self-consciously out of date they're anachronistic yeah. they're, they're, they're looking backwards in time even, the, even in this kind of 50s-esque kind of movie they're old fashioned they're trying to be like maybe the 30s or something yeah. you know before they, they're, they're, they, they're, and they're constantly running up against a world which is sort of like not for them you know yeah we, 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 the, the movie opens basically with, with the star of the show I think the star of the movie uh, Carolyn Farina who plays Audrey uh, and uh, she's trying on a, a wedding dress that's too big for her. And this, this this is the kind of the allusion to what Garrett said, which is like, you know, the marrying off of these young girls into high society. Now, Audrey goes through a, a kind of a, a an internal turmoil. Where, does she want to be included in that life? Does she want to even live in New York? And we see before the end that she's like, yeah, I'm out of here, man. I'm going to France. Like she's she's already checked out before she's checked in. And uh, she has a kind of a, 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 a turmoil or a tumultuous decision to make like and during these this season, this winter season of parties and after parties and getting to know because all we see of the movie is the after parties, mm-hmm. one after the other after the other over a winter season. And uh, she basically cements her decision to not take part in this uh, bourgeoisie kind of uh, high society lifestyle. And uh, the when when we get introduced to the the party proper when there's like when we get into the house the set dressings and all of the furnitures and even the bound books and stuff in the background um the the tuxedos even the glasses are all very much uh, on point and and bang on trend for that style yeah and uh with stillman called in a lot of favors yeah lots made of how cheap this movie was first of all it's not that cheap it was 210 grand in 1990 which is a lot of money back then and it made three million and it made three million which is a lot but he also he was from this preppy class he he was able to go oh jonathan could we possibly use your place on the upper east side yes of course of course i mean that's not the kind of access that normal humans have there was 12 there was 12 different uh buildings and sets used including the plaza hotel which they somehow got permission to use and he said in interview i was watching an interview and today he said like in the plaza we didn't get permission mm. they were uh, uh hiding around with cameras and they had cameras covered over like there were uh, bird cages and shit like <laughs> that's that. great and they were communicating with walkie talkies going like okay walk around the corner count to three and walk around three that's two. why all the shots are oh, like they look like they're done yeah. in the brim closet so they're, you're, you're hiding out, you're hiding behind something you know yeah. um so the houses themselves were 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 already set like this they're already dressed like this this is like as authentic as you could possibly get. <laughs> yeah. These were all, you know, f- um, um, furnished in the the early to mid eighties. You, you know, it's record, it's being filmed in nineteen eighty nine, so it's like right on the fucking money. It could have been even furnished in the seventies, you know, yeah. and all that stuff. They were in like the drawing rooms, most of which have like you know seventeenth century French furniture yeah. and chaise lounge and all this all sort of yeah. stuff. Yeah, so they're all hanging around on this mad furniture, smoking long cigarettes. And basically just talking about the state of society. Uh, n- not so much focused on themselves as young people are wont to do, you know, talking about their uh, internal politics for the first half of the movie, mm-hmm. which is where I'm watching for the first 20 minutes going like, who are they? <laughs> Why are they important? And what the fuck are they talking about? You and know, what authority have they got to talk about it? <laughs> and then it started getting into the personal aspects yeah. of it, telling the backstories of them. And then you're like, oh, that's what the fuck is going that's on. That's what I lo- love about this movie is yeah. that it's about people having interesting conversations. And most movies, the way movies are made now, and it's not necessarily a bad thing, but it leaves so little time and space for dialogue that even where the dialogue is very witty, it's it's a quip. Yes. These people have like, when you try and quote from this movie. And Diplomatic for- immunity. <laughs> revoked. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. exactly. Or, even, you know, I'm not even talking about an action movie. but Stick even around. Even yeah. an in, quote unquote intellectual movie, yes. the dialogue is so back and forth that 
this maybe when you try and quote from it it's very difficult because the quotes are six lines long yeah. but the payoffs of those jokes I, I just want to point out we haven't said this I think that this is one of the funniest films ever every time I watch it I fall on the floor laughing and maybe that's just my style of humour I think it very much could be hand on heart I did grow up reading a lot of Edwardian British comedy okay well it's not fall on the floor laughing for me <laughs> but I'm watching it going uh, you know the way you'd appreciate a joke by going oh yeah yeah that's good I just think it's so caustic and it's every joke has is triple tagged like there's there's never just one punchline. Yeah. there's a punchline and a punchline and a punchline and a lot of the jokes in the first funnier. 20 minutes that seem the whole first 20 minutes of the, of the movie will make you want to switch it off I have to say right it's like when you just when you're getting the tip in <laughs> before the good stuff starts you're just like this is fucking but if you're watching and paying attention all of those things that are said like we have Charlie who's who's basically like a, a, a mad naysayer he's going uh, oh you know like uh, downward mobility is an inevitability and the, you know the bourgeoisie class he's always trying to self-analyze mm-hmm. and stuff like that so those things that he's saying as the movie goes along mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. end up like becoming prophecy and end up becoming like uh, uh, you know uh, getting more extrapolated and getting more explicit in its in the cases that you're talking about. So he's talking in general in the first act. In the second act, when we're talking about the personalities between people, you get to see like the families, like the uh, uh, Rick, who's the you know slick Rick, the the, the rapist. Um, his his whole backstory mm-hmm. ends up being like a mirror of what Charlie has described. And then the last part of it is they're all their downfall. You know, their mm-hmm. downward mobility. So it just seems like yeah, you say it, there is, it is multi layered. And there was a reason it got the, 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 the Oscar nomination for the screenplay because the screenplay is fucking great. Now, it yeah. could have had a better actors. It could have been filmed better. It could have been... It's also, but it wouldn't be the same movie, though. And it, I do, I do yeah. get that. It could be made in a modern way. But it's also... A but way, it'll end it, up looking like something like clerks or something yeah well yeah it has it i think the look suits the script but it's a it's a wish fulfillment fantasy for a certain kind of person the kind of person that goes to a party and just sits there really pissed off that there's nobody fun to talk to yeah because everybody's on yokes um i think that there's we're so unused to seeing that unless maybe an oscar wilde plays like the only place you're going to see this kind of dialogue Mm. it's so sharp there's not a line of filler every single line is like witty and clever and not in a and sense has an answer yeah and not not like a reference to something you haven't yeah. heard of you can watch this movie and never have read any kind yeah. of you know it's not like they're constantly making references to great literature they're making really funny jokes that are pretentious but not in that way there's clever jokes yeah. and that's that just that just a lot warms of wordplay, my heart wordplay so much wordplay so yeah, much yeah. like so much of the humor is about these characters don't realize how they're like 16 and they're so pretentious and they have no idea and it's humor at their expense but which is very fond of their their aspirations to be like good people or to be intellectuals or to be like high class or good for the world yeah i think it's it's so funny that they're um they're having this conversation about downward mobility which mm-hmm. is their greatest fear you <laughs> yeah, know these yeah. kids who have, don't know their arse from a hole in the wall yeah who are fucking rich beyond their wildest dreams yeah. uh, and they don't know of anything else but they're saying like downward mobility is inevitable mm-hmm. while they're all standing around in, in bought tuxes because renting a tux is so you know day class eh? yeah and and uh, uh, you know Thomas sitting there in a rented tux with a shitty like winter coat yeah, and yeah. they're kind of going is that your coat Townsend like, <laughs> yeah. he's a bit like he, he, he could say it has a lining it has a lining <laughs> yeah. you must be freezing um, and at one point all getting up to uh, take part in the cha 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 like yeah. they put on a record and they start cha 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 and I'm like ah that's this bullshit but I did very much identify with the sitting around and talking about life and trying to figure yourself out mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and especially the stuff that Charlie does yeah because he's kind of like the grounding voice of reason. And it seems like if they were all, you know, born in my town at my time, my age, 
those guys would have all just been sitting around smoking, passing the joint around, mm-hmm. yeah. talking about yeah. their own life and going like, how can we, you know, how can we yeah. keep the good stuff and get rid of the bad stuff, which is what everybody wants to do. But one thing they were, uh, that I thought was funny, and this is, like we can get into quotes. I, I'm sure you have a ball of quotes there that you can throw out. But one I of my favorite it. ones was, uh, artists are an easier class to be uh, because if, there's no way to measure failure as an artist. Right, you know, right, it's right. A, because it's so subjective. Uh, and he's like, uh, the, the girl, I think Annie said it. She's like going, um, yeah, all the people that are artists, you know, it's it's easier to be that because, you know, if you're a, if you're a, a stockbroker, you have to make money. But if you're an artist, you can be good. You can be shite and nobody knows. Like everyone says good. It's real uh, uh, kind of biting and, and co- like a commentary on how her friends are kind of bailing out, but yet not like they're rich and they're they're kept and they take part in this whole artistic world that's so subjective and they all just like lick each other's hole very much uh, uh, kind of self-aware and self-deprecating and I, I that was that was at the 13 minute mark and I went ah oh, it's a piss take awesome it, it is and it's also a callback to, to Hitchcock like yeah. this people always remember Hitchcock from the big exciting sequences like North by Northwest the plane chasing character yeah. 90% of every Hitchcock movie is not that it is people in drawing rooms you know it's, it's it, Audrey Hepburn having, Ooh, a, having yeah. a loquacious conversation and if this movie had been made in 1950 like I think it would have been a, a massive hit yeah. so that's I think that's exactly what it is it's just really really old fashioned verbal film or yeah. for, 1940 even mm. um, and if, if it has a flaw it's the flaw of being that kind of static movie but yeah but all that stuff of self-aware the characters gradually coming to a little bit of self-awareness but being, I have such fondness for them because they're each in their own way like even the villain Von Sloniker is such a like he's such yeah. a like toy box villain he's such a he's so silly and absurd and yeah. it, it's almost like a children's he's a bad cunt in that front room and that front room <laughs> yeah. only yeah. on the streets like he's toast yeah yeah, yeah. absolutely yeah and, and they're they're all kind of adorably geeky little little kids and yeah at know. the start like I said an amorphous kind of white elite blob uh, and then they start to delineate themselves very clearly uh, but the way that it's shot very hard to follow the scenes follow the different parties follow the different nights and the timeline Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and what i did notice and i had to rewind it a few times to figure it out so the way stillman shot this film and his dop shot this film he he kind of left the reins over to the dop to go like okay listen you do like the do you know the way in in movie where you're supposed to do these like leading lines and you're supposed to have these like uh, you know follow shots where Mm -hmm. if somebody is looking out to the left when you pan, when you like cut or pan to the person who they're talking to, their eye lines have to meet or else it doesn't, it, it looks kind of disjointed and amateurish. Mm-hmm. So you have to make sure that all the eye lines are correct. And, and or if uh, somebody is leaving like uh, to the screen right, you have to have something then, if that's where you want to draw the eye, when you cut to the next scene, that's where you want their eye to be. So the thing that, that's in the next scene has to be in that place. So it's, it's just these like extra nice touches to filmmaking that mm-hmm. the DOP, I think really got to, uh, explore and he really got to it was a it was a blank canvas because mm-hmm. Stillman is like you fucking do you man I have absolutely no quarter about any of that stuff like you you can have your own whatever you want to do and he, uh, allegedly Stillman used to have a copy of how to direct a movie the book <laughs> on set with him always so if he came someone asked him a question he'd just be like um, I'll be back in a moment and he just goes over and he's like flicking through the book in the index going like how do you do that how do you do that oh yeah fuck okay hold on hold on <laughs> okay cool okay cool yeah so what you need to do like it was so yeah. such a such a amateurish mm-hmm. kind of production but the way the movie was shot very simple um and i figured out from watching it that there were times of, of great tension 
that have these harsh cuts, right? So from night to night to night, there aren't any transitions, there aren't any expositions of location, there aren't any um, uh, me, uh, me, median shots where you would go like, do you know like in Friends, when it goes from the cafe, it's all like, bing, bing, bong, bing, bong, bing, bong, bing, and it shows the outside of Central Park, and then it shows inside. Mm-hmm. And then when you move to Monica's apartment, it shows the outside of Monica's apartment, and then up into the balcony, and then inside Monica's apartment. Just to help that transition for the, for the viewer to look in, it breaks the 180 rule loads of times. It has all of these little flaws in it that you wouldn't expect and it disturbs you i think in the first little while when they're kind of all arguing and it has these sharp cuts the only thing you can tell the difference between shot to shot is that they're wearing different clothes and some of them were even like photo negatively done and i guarantee you that was the dop going okay we we need to make this thing because it you know it could have ended up like the room it could have ended up very like a verbose uh, uh like a long soliloquy of a movie that just doesn't end up uh, well the, making the, the any room sense, you know is an insane film that doesn't cohere like this this yeah. could have been directed worse but it certainly doesn't it certainly makes sense it's yes not, it's not the script is the script is really really good and that's the thing that it yeah. hangs on yeah. right but when they were changing from from place to place to place i'm sure in the script it's like interior you know uh, uh another house in blah blah, blah. and mm-hmm. on, on paper you look at that and go yeah that makes sense mm-hmm. but because there's they're changing from shot the to shot, so similar so similar yeah. set yeah. so such similar uh furniture what they did was some of the guys were in black mm-hmm. uh, tuxedos and then in the next shot they were wearing a white tuxedo mm-hmm. jacket mm-hmm. and the girl was wearing a black uh, dress and now she's wearing like a gold dress so they had these like changes of of costume and changes of stance like someone was sitting up standing up and then the next scene he's sitting down wearing different clothes to give that like strict mm-hmm. uh, uh cut and that feeling of okay we've moved we've moved on in time and location and when it ended on a really nice note yeah it would like fade out to a black and then fade back up and have a second a whole second of black and then fade back up to another kind of soft set with maybe one character in it and then the room got the, the scene got filled with other people so it was the, these like very hard transitions of many people with many uh, uh, different uh, distractions on the screen to mm-hmm. very easy transitions of w- scenes of one or two people having a moment, fade to black, come back up to one person and the room gets full. That was all like cinematography 101 stuff that ended up, I think, pushing it towards yeah, an Oscar nomination. Like the script made that the way it was. Mm-hmm. So you had to follow it very simple movie making there's no like mad crane shots mm-hmm. there's no like follow shots there's no you know they're, they're they're never in the car looking out or it's super simple like you could do the whole thing on sticks and i really really like that simple you know uh, uh, way of making movies very small budget though so you yeah. can't really but also they do they do a lot of things right that a lot of modern comedy movies don't I mean, harold ramus said that comedy exists in the two shot yeah and that is like an ironclad rule that is broken by every modern comedy and yeah. as a result it comes off on un- with a certain unreal quality to the dialogue whereas this even though the dialogue is ridiculous yeah and so urbane and witty because they're actually saying it to each other in the shot it's a conversation that you can follow and that is is again to me it's like it's very funny i do like viscerally laugh watching this film which i very rarely do a lot of harold <laughs> ramus movies film. i do as well it's a really personable film and towards the end you get into the character so mm-hmm. much but he especially their relationships and you yeah. know their 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 inadequacies and their you know their kind of awkward sexuality that's kind mm-hmm. of uh we'll talk about the relationships between them in a sec but but i think you can see the the influence of like you look at something like groundhog day yeah. obviously made later but like those movies that Har- harold ramus did and john landis as well the way that uh, comedy exists by having three people in a corner and you know in yeah. a situation there's a there's a definite influence there and it, it works for me it's coming that, that's harold ramus style and those guys that he had in the movie like bill murray and all of these guys like that are 
early 90s or late 80s early 90s comedies that's all from stage to screen mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so it's all from saturday night live it's all from improv second yeah, city yeah, stuff yeah and comedy doesn't lie in like being the funny part it's like playing playing the straight thing yeah it's also like you know two dudes and they're supposed to pr- like it's like okay uh we're in an improv scene uh two guys are peeling potatoes uh but one of you has slept with the other one's wife okay go the, the thing you absolutely don't do mm-hmm. is talk about the potatoes yeah yeah do you know that's the whole point and Saturday Night Live train and how those sketches are written like Anchorman Blues Brothers uh, like uh, the Ghostbusters like all of these movies are written from sketches or from ideas that were made in the preparations for writing the jokes and sketches for Saturday Night Live mm-hmm. and uh, you know uh, Animal House and, and Fletch and all of these movies starring all those SNL guys so the way this is done it's written in the script like it's a play like a Glengarry Glen Ross and then like screen made into a screenplay kind of mm-hmm. you know it was a screenplay written like a written like a stage play mm-hmm. um and you but, could, but you, could is, do, that, you could do a stage production you know th- like you absolutely could but um just like again just to lay my cards on the table i don't find most of those modern comedies even a little bit funny yeah like, like as in i'll watch them i'm getting the jokes you don't like kevin hart no <laughs> I don't even mean that level of it. I mean, you know, your yeah. Seth Rogen movies or yeah. your 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 Joe, your Judd Apatow movies, of which there are many, and they're well written, and the characters yeah. are great, and they're well made. It's almost the same film again and again. I just don't don't like the forty year old virgin. The, the, Steve Carell, man. There's a broadness to the humor that yeah. I just it's 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 so detached from reality that I can't enjoy it. And it takes like a lot of Chris Morris's stuff, say in the nineties, was really weird and whatever and hilarious. Mm. But it takes a great gift that that a lot of American comedy writers do not have this is a much more British style of humour does feel like it it's much more even though the people are saying stuff that no one no one of that age would ever say say the humour is from real humans in real situations and nobody is doing something that you like why would you do that in that situation because it's funny because it's going to make it more awkward it's not contrived in that sense and for me watching watching and it must be other people must feel this well watching a lot of modern comedy movies the more contrived it gets the more I'm like that's cool but like I can't, I can't I can't go with you on this adventure you yeah. know oh no I get it like the, the, to watch uh, uh, the comedy movies that are not comedy like comedy action movies like the other guys or Pain and mm-hmm. Gain and all of these things they're funny in parts or there's one like set piece like the last really funny movie that I've ever seen that has these uh, uh, set piece interactions like Dumb and Dumber was probably one of the funniest mm-hmm. movies mm-hmm. I've ever yeah, seen in my hilarious. life yeah and the way that's written or me it, myself and irene me myself and irene also very good set pieces like there's a, a a beginning middle and end for for each of the scenes mm-hmm. there's like uh, uh, you know teasers at the start that pay off at the end and the, the way it's written whereas i think more of the comedy movies now like i watched get hard with will ferrell and uh, 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 kevin hart and that's just like goof after goof after goof yeah where we haven't really learned about the character at all it's just like, oh, it's Will Ferrell in a movie. So he just acts like Will Ferrell and, uh, or Ferrell, whichever one you want to do. And, uh, you know, you're kind of presuming that that's the decisions that he's going to make, yeah. whereas let, letting the character descriptor, what happens to the character, inform his decisions. Yeah. So there is no emotional payoff. It's just watching him do funny, yeah. funny like, clappy handsy, or it's like, here, j- fall over a thing. Yeah, and, and those Farley Brothers movies, which came out of the Zucker and Zucker movies, yes. always had really strong characterization mm-hmm. and you put this person even, first of all even first some, of all yeah even something like mr bean has yeah. his power like here's his character yeah. and he's i don't personally like it because he's too unbelievable 
but you know what you've set up that character he does what he will what he will do it's not like here's the part that uh, like you know here's the part that chris farley is playing and you know what he's going to do or whatever but it's it's built on on those comedy mechanics that like the likes of uh, uh del close and these guys b- have built like real comedy on loads of hit movies have been written on snl is based on it i know snl is not doing very well now but it was like the pinnacle of comedy for so long like the standard from from when stars are born and it's based on like hierarchy and status Mm -hmm. it's based on you know uh uh, these guys that have a very high hierarchy but a a very low status you know the 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 baldricks Mm-hmm. where where he's like he could be even smarter than Blackadder but his status is much much lower or uh, Blackadder is a perfect example of all of these if anyone hasn't watched Blackadder any of our American mm. American people go watch that that's a fucking perfect example of Genius. all of these comedy uh, uh, exercises it's a master servant slave don't watch the first series though no it's seri- just not even the same show Blackadder the third is probably the best one or the World War One. yeah the, what's Blackadder f- goes fourth goes fourth yeah, yeah. um so like uh, you know uh, a hierarchy of status so like a, a maid who's like super sassy and wise or uh you know the the king who's like really bumbling and stupid mm-hmm. like these these are intrinsically funny characters because they don't you know if you want to have a king who's also like a cunt and everything everybody does what he's told it's not interesting there's no there's no room for change there but a king who's very very like high high powered and respected who's a bumbling fool can become less respected and more normalized but he can also become less foolish and come mm-hmm. to a, an even balance so there's room to to move and in that yeah. journey to the middle that's where the comedy lives there's a, there's a great bit in this where von sloniker the villain is like someone asks him are you really a baron he's like you don't really care about that all, all that stuff but of course i am yeah <laughs> and then he says it again he's like he's oh it's the last ball of the season you don't really care about that kind of yeah. stuff and all he but cares about is that kind of stuff yeah that's the thing he, he uh, that that farcical character of a, of a hierarchy like everyone's like oh there's a build-up so let's talk about slick rick then there's a build-up then of his mm-hmm. character where uh, our our man Nick, who I think is supposed to be the star of the movie, Tom is like, I think the, he steals the show. Tom is theoretically yeah. Tom is the audience vehicle character. Yes. He's the one that brings you into this weird world, and yeah. he's a little bit different to them. He's a little bit more like us, even though he does live on the Upper East Side of New York. It's so, in a small apartment. Yeah, it is, and he's he ha, he's from all right money that has come down to like okay money. Yeah, his his, never his from, dad has left the city and cut yeah. cut him off, disinherited him. Oh, the heartbreak because he was ginger. And uh, <laughs> yeah, so Tom Townsend played by Edward Clements, who only made one more movie after this yeah yeah and very went few off. of these people went on to any kind of success which Edward is Clemens really sad went off to be a born again Christian <laughs> pastor yeah. and he's been a pastor for, for years <laughs> very like, believable very much so in <laughs> fact uh, Stillman had written him in as a character who would be around the parties just like quoting bible verse and stuff right, like that who would yeah. be totally asexual and Tom was like nah man it's too on the nose <laughs> so uh, so Tom yeah is the audience vehicle audience point of view and then our boy Nick who mm-hmm. seems to be like the cool one of the gang but also he's like br- riddled with self-doubt mm-hmm. um he's ultra rich but has no fulfillment in his life really and he's trying to cement himself as the true leader of the gang um the fact that he's in a feud already with rick before the movie starts is only shown when rick turns up to a party with a, a, a date and people are all like who's that guy so nick in, in order to tear rick down in the eyes of everybody in the group because everyone thinks like oh he's so cool look at him um, looks like a bad guy in Steven Scan movie, and uh, he goes, "Yeah, well, look, you know, you, you don't know the full story. I mean, you you don't know what I know about him." And everyone's like, "What is it, Nick?" And he's like, "Well, 
apparently like he was fucking this girl and then he just left her off and she was trying to get in contact with him and uh, he, he wouldn't and then he said okay come on back and him and his mates like pull the train which uh, which he has to explain to, he has to, explain to the all girls. the boys and girls yeah Audrey doesn't really know uh, uh, we would call it running a train I guess and it's basically just like everybody everybody has a go and uh, Pyramid of Xanthar <laughs> yeah everybody uh, finger cuffs and uh, everybody ends up uh, you know having a good time except for the girl who Polly Perkins who, who got horrifically depressed and According to Nick's uh, depiction of the story, wouldn't wash for days, and you know was uh, was hanging around hanging around uh, street corners and stuff like that. And eventually, she went out to a house out in the country uh, to, to you know recuperate, and they found her hanging from the barn. She killed herself, and everyone was like, "Oh my god, shocking!" Yeah, I just realised that this movie and Chasing Amy and the Kevin Smith movie both have a plot point that's the crux around a uh, running a train. I think it was a thing in the early nineties. <laughs> Must People were into it, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, so I mean, like the whole the whole group kind of turns on Rick, and this comes back on Nick later on, where Rick comes in and goes, "What did you fucking say about me?" And and the whole thing is shown to be untrue. Mm-hmm. Uh, he tells Tom on the walk home, "Was like, no, I made up Polly Perkins," but like he does that shit to people, and I just need people to know. Yeah. But it's not like you know. So you think, ah, oh, Nick is a little bit. He's a little bit like disingenuous. He's a little bit of a fabricator. Uh, he tells a false story about Rick just to get people to hate him because he hates him and we're left thinking that for almost the entire movie he goes oh, that Polly Perkins is a composite of a load of stories I heard about what Rick does to girls when confronted in the room and this is part of the only action scene in the whole film uh, when confronted <laughs> uh, you know Rick and Cynthia come back to the, the to the party and we'll talk about Cynthia and Tom now in a second uh, and you know it's the final party of the season everybody's into this thing and they're watching the debutante ball on the TV and, you know, Rick has asked to see, are you really a baron? I don't want to talk about it. Um, basically, like, everyone's going, yeah, I don't know, man, Rick is here. I don't know if he can stay like this fucking weird. Are you awkward? And Nick is like, yeah, fuck that guy. Rick finds out that Nick has been talking about him and goes, hey, what the fuck have you been saying about me? Saying that I'm, you know, I... I, I love how you're transferring this into, I, like, a, into ghetto style dialogue. Yeah, yeah. When it's the most erudite, it like, is, champagne is. Dr- swilling, ridiculous dialogue. You have to watch it. It's really, like, it's interesting to see a fight play out with such marble-mouthed <laughs> magnificence. And uh, he goes, what the fuck are you saying about me? And Nick is just like, yeah, well, you did do it, though, didn't you, though? And, you know, Nick denies, 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 denies till you die. And basically... Nick goes, uh, okay, well, look, do you want to tell the real story? How about Kathy Livingstone? And he drops this name. And some of the other guys in the in the apartment who arrived with Rick all get wide-eyed and guilty looking. He basically says, Kathy Livingstone is Polly Perkins. And she was the one who got a train ran on her by two guys in the room. And she, you know, she, she got depressed and she ended up killing herself. And Rick starts making these excuses going, yeah, well, she was disturbed anyway, blah, blah, blah. Uh, Nick stands up to him. He gets a bop on the nose. The whole team turn against Nick. And, uh, you know, the the uh, the rat pack, as they were called, all kind of go, yeah, I don't know. You acted, you didn't act great there. Uh, that was, you could have done that with a bit more class. And it just ends up being, him, him being unfairly cast out of the the, the high society group. Oh, it's, a, it's a great bit of dialogue. Can I, can I go yes, into it? Yes, do, please. So, yeah. so this is just, because we haven't given you any concrete examples yeah. of this dialogue. So when they confront each other, um, Nick and Baron Rick von Zlonninger, is it true you're a baron? Well, I don't put much store on that kind of thing. But they have I this. Don't put much store. <laughs> yeah. It is very, it is very you, Doug Earth. This oh, movie. I love it. So Nick faces off against the evil Baron von Slanica, and Baron von Slanica says, "I don't let anyone say that kind of thing to my face." Before you complained that it was, I said it behind your back. 
now that it's your face, frankly, how can you tell which is which? <laughs> he gets a he gets a he gets a box like uh, that drives him that drives him to physical violence that incenses <laughs> yeah, the Baron yeah. so much that he strikes Nick down. Um, oh yeah, he has this other so line that innocent. I love. Right, Rick Rick keeps a collection of panties of the girls he seduced. Oh, when they later kill themselves, do you do anything special to memorialize them? <laughs> yeah. It's it's like it's, it's caustic. It's biting. Yeah, it's really biting. <laughs> but it's said with such you know uh, uh, joviality yeah, it's like, not a bloodless movie like they, no. there, there is you know there's there's threesomes and there's uh, villains and there's, there's a violence lad, there's a lad taking they took mescaline <laughs> and then your man is sitting there going on my head in my head in my head holding yeah. his head and then someone goes what's he doing and the other people are like oh he's making fun of this guy who took mescaline one time and all he did was just hold his head and say that for hours and then the girl who's on the ground she's like uh, I think lighting candles or something yeah. like that she goes oh no we, we actually did take mescaline yeah. And it's like a two minute scene <laughs> where they're all sitting around in the house and your man is rolling around on the couch yeah. off his head and she's like fucking making toys like a like a child and it's like, No, we did take a load of mescaline and then it just like fades out to black. Yeah. I, I It's absolutely pointless that scene is it's, pointless. It's wonderful. I, I went to college with I have to say, I went to college with people like this. I was never in this group of dilettantes, but I knew people who were and then occasionally they would do something like this. Like But it's faux dilettantery though, it's not it's not But it's always faux. It's always been throughout history. Some somebody's starving on your doorstep and you're having the dinner party. There's always something imaginary about it, or you're upholding your status by showing how erudite you are. Or, sure. You know? Um but there, you know, there were people and they would have these dinner parties with their tuxes and stuff, and then you know, somebody would be in the back out of their head on yokes because it exists in the real world and I yeah. love that contradiction it's just ridiculous there's some some of the things in it I thought were like normalised them and maybe sh- it showed that humanistic side obviously uh, you know my on White Press Play we like to, to nominate a best supporting role mm-hmm. uh, my nomination is for Taylor Nichols who played Charlie Black so Charlie was like this grounding force that used to say the whole time like but what if guys what if we're all just like what if we're all normal or what if like we're the abnormal ones and they're the cool ones or what if like this can't last forever right i mean we're really rich and everything's going great like that that can't be forever right like it's just so yeah. pessimistic and, and also he's, he's he the has traditional this, nice guy as well carrying the flame for the sweet audrey and blue pillin' and all this <laughs> cook holdery like he, he he basically there's like love triangles going on as well where uh you know uh tom loves cynthia cynthia's gonna with rick uh, Audrey loves Tom and then Charlie loves Audrey so it's like a Cynthia who has an enormous number of boyfriends yeah which I, I love that phrase Just yeah. <laughs> how many boyfriends does she have an enormous number and as well uh, I think it's um, Sally and Nick end up getting together after mm. spending the first half of the movie fighting and Nick is like you slut <laughs> and then later on we find out that they're riding yeah. and then everyone goes Nick I thought you said she was a slut and he's like yes but a beautiful slut like I'm like <laughs> yeah. that is that Late, later on in the movie someone someone says about her um he, she's not inviting her to a party or something and well uh nick proved that she was a slut <laughs> someone yeah. says well that's not very fair and the girl goes well i think it is <laughs> you know, the, the, charlie says some some really choice uh, uh you know self-examinatory statements where he's just like are we you know we're, this can't last forever the, this this uh uh hot urban haute bourgeoisie yeah urban UHB this urban haute bourgeoisie <laughs> cannot last forever I mean we're you know we're a dying breed and they, they, Reagan has mentioned a few times and you know this kind of uh, uh, old New York swinging to new New York 
one of the funniest things, and this did make me actually chuckle in, in like audibly chuckle. I wasn't like Gareth Stack rolling on the ground laughing, but uh, I thought this was very funny where he says like, the lads are like, are we really that bad? And he turns to them incredulous and almost angry. And he says, our generation is the worst since the Reformation. And then they're looking through a window of, of like suits or whatever. And they're looking at each other and Charlie's like, are you serious? Our generation is the worst since the Protestant Reformation. Oh, look, in this store, they have detachable collars. Like, t- talking about shopping for a tux for Tom. You're like, what the fuck? It's very, like, oddly placed, those kind of, those kind of um My, my favourite line from uh, from Nick, who's this kind of witty, uh, I guess you could say closeted. He's a, he's very obviously a Wildean character. Yeah. Witty guy. And he he, uh, he calls von Slondiger, who is actually a baron. He goes, riffraff. And someone says, well, he's hardly that. And he goes, oh, you mean because of his title? We're supposed to be impressed by that. On the contrary, the titled aristocracy of the scum of the earth. Yeah. Because <laughs> he's the untitled aristocracy. Yeah, we're the untitled it's aristocracy. Brilliant. Or he says something like, uh, uh, Charlie also says something like, uh, I don't read. I don't read novels. I don't like to read novels. And everyone's like, "But you're so well read." He's like, "Yes, I read literary criticism. Otherwise, you're just listening to some stuff an author made up." Yeah. I'm like, that, I, "I get, I get both the critic's opinion and yeah. the contents of the novel." That's a, that's amazing. Like, yeah. that's an amazing way to look at literature. He's like, "Oh, I couldn't be bothered like losing myself in a in another world and using my imagination. I need to, I need my literature to mean something so that I can say it in a in a room full of people." It just seems like all this uh, uh, layers and layers of, of duplicity that they've lived their whole lives in, I guess, is just coming out in their uh, 17, 18 year old uh, personalities. Now, Tom is the outsider and he's the guy who's kind of a little bit poorer. Uh, there is like love trying. I didn't feel that the love story in it, like the movie is supposed to hang on a love story or whatever. It didn't. It didn't for this one. This is a movie where the, the big culmination of the love story is them going well, maybe I'll visit you in France. Yeah. They don't, they, I don't think they, they don't even hold kiss. hands. They don't even <laughs> touch. But it's it's so charming all it the is. same, you know. And I think it's more, when you're watching a movie like that, you're expecting, because I'm conditioned, I suppose, from, from normal cinema or cinema that you said that you wouldn't like, mm-hmm. like you're, you're, you're conditioned for these like payoffs, these like gratifying, you know, either visual or, or like tangible payoffs. That would have been a whole different way to take the movie if they just banged in the last scene. Yeah. And it gets very graphic. Just like hard, wet slapping. Um, <laughs> Maybe in just, the remake. Maybe in the remake. It just seems like uh, that they could have they could have ended it a different way, like that they'd actually kiss or that there was like, you know, some sort yeah. of a sexual release or whatever. It doesn't happen. And you're but, left kind of feeling a bit awkward, yeah. which is how those kids feel the <laughs> yeah, whole time. Yeah. So it's a, it's a perfect transition from, uh, you know, screen to emotional weight. Like, it's perfectly done. I can just, I can very much... it's not satisfying, and that's why people might not like I, it. That's I can see that. As, as a film, it breaks, you know, every rule of building tension, then rewarding the audience. There's yeah. no arc. But it's not about that. And if you take it on its own terms, about these kind of sweet awkward like innocent characters who are completely out of time like they get a taxi at one point and they don't know how to get a taxi yes they've they, never they, they try to rent a car three times <laughs> yeah. and your man walks out of Hertz rental and he goes I've never been refused by my mother's membership card before and you're like what and then they go into like budget and then they go into someplace else yeah. and they're all like how does one get around in New York <laughs> yeah, yeah. like it's so they, odd they, they get the taxi and they, they, I, I swore like, we agreed on a price and the taxi driver's like fuck you buddy he's like, like watch this <laughs> 
Watch this. <laughs> I, I had I had thought we presumed 150 was quite enough for that journey. <laughs> There's a gratuity included. <laughs> yeah, it's so it's so odd. It's like a, a, you know coming to America or something like that, which I think was maybe a piss take of a movie like this. Yeah, you yeah, know? yeah. Um, one of the one of the sweetest moments, and this is one of my favorite moments in the whole film. It really shows how Tom is, but it also shows Nick's soft side, uh, like as a contrast to his like brash public mm-hmm. uh, you know like bra- bra- bravado uh, he has he has a real childish side to him still and he's he's only like 17 or something in this movie supposed to be anyway when they're walking home he and Tom and you know Nick has given Tom advice about like you have to be a little bit more aggressive and you know, more assertive and you have you know you got to fucking own this because if you don't if you don't if you you know if you don't pretend like you know people won't think that you know you got to fucking man up or whatever and in the middle of this, he abandons that to run over to a small box that's abandoned in front of this, like, shop front. Hmm. And inside of it is, like, a, a child's toy train set. And he he, they, he runs over and he goes, like, oh, my God, look, it's, like, from our childhood. Remember having those when we were young? Oh, those were simpler times. And he just goes off on this mad, uh, you know, nostalgia wank. But did you get the other thing about that? T- he goes and talks to his mother and yeah. he asks his mother. And, and it's kind of like he it's, wants to get closer to no, her. No, 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 that's not it. Those are actually Tom's toys. His dad's throwing them out. Oh, no. Because they're passing his dad's building. And his dad is literally threw his toys onto the street. And then you find out that his dad has moved to another city and he's not even told him. Oh, I didn't didn't catch that. So it's like heartbreaking. He's abandoned, you know? Yeah. But there's a lot of that in this. There's no, like, there's no parents. I didn't catch that. I didn't catch that. I was taking notes. It's a very subtle move. There's no parents around though. And there's a lot of, like, abandonment. There's a lot of little hints that, like, 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 um, uh, Nick goes off to to meet his evil stepmother and Audrey's like fleeing to to, to France, France yeah. and her parents don't know where yeah. she is the weekend so there's sort of a little undercurrent of like they're all kind of abandoned they're trying to make up life themselves they want to make a family amongst themselves and there's yeah. a lot of talk about uh, these people that you spend your time with are the people that you will spend your time with for the rest of your life but then they these, find out really quickly yes. that they don't get to see no. that the, the girls kind of start coupling up with guys and start going on dates and breaking up the group dates mm. which is a very 50s America thing um, at the end of the movie and the guys are just kind of left these kind of there's three of them dweeby guys yeah. kind of like and one of the, one of the guys has become an alcoholic and he has to cop out of the party so they're just kind of left twiddling their thumbs I think that was um, Jane they were, they were going to a party in Jane's house that mm-hmm. time and it was like the last party of the season In the ne- I think it was the next year uh, it just flashes forward to at the very end and nobody's around and it's just Tom and Fred and Rick which are the three the three lads that are left over like oh this is all set at the same Christmas it's is it the same it's the last it's one of the season okay same, okay yeah. so like but it's like the very very last party or yeah. whatever and uh, Jane is like I'm off on a date yeah and then they find out that Sally is going off on a date with the producer who uh, who knows uh, Rick Van Slotica yeah and this producer is part of that thing and I kind of got the vibe that she was like yeah, I'm, I'm going to be singing in a, in a music group that he's producing, but I have to go out tonight and suck his cock. Like, it was kind of inf- inferred, right? Watching it now, now that really knowing that they're all so. supposed to be 16, and he, she's with this sleazy-ass, older-looking kind music Weinst- producer. Kind of Weinstein-y in yeah, his Yeah, a little bit Weinstein-y. He, no, but he actually looks like... <laughs> he actually looks a bit like Weinstein. And, yeah, there was kind of an insinuation that, like, I'm going to have to suck cock, but I get to be real famous, so that's mm. cool. And this uh, is a movie. This is a movie about they have a conversation at one point with this. They meet this older guy, yeah. this older preppy guy in a bar. And and uh, who's the character you could bring up? Um, 
The Charlie. Charlie. Charlie says to him, oh, we're so doomed. Well, and he that's goes, the end. This is the end. That's the lovely, the beautiful payoff at the end is that they meet the old guy in the bar who is them from the well, future. And the, one of the guy, things the guy says is that, no, you have to admit that we're not all doomed. Some preppy rich people actually do. So of course, they all fucking succeed. But some of them manage to go and have meaningful lives. But what succeed, you have to you have to quantify what succeed means. But the characters we're watching, the guys anyway, yeah. are the ones that don't. They're like, they're the future losers. Yeah. Yeah, and, and that is one of the most charming things about it because like as the girls are sort of becoming adults and you know even if it is kind of going off on dates or whatever they're making their way in the world yeah. the guys are still trying to sort of have this kind of and it's friends. one of those things that happens when you're friend. a teenager you have these teenage kind groups of. and then everyone goes to college and they wander off and you're sort of like I thought you were my real friends it happens it happens it happened to me it's happened to you oh yeah yeah but that's the thing man that's life and I think the fact that we were following Tom's journey and we were kind of seeing it through his eyes like if we were watching what was happening to to Nick, I'm sure it'd be great. He'd be getting his, his dick soaked and going to college and, you know, getting away with a few sexual yeah, assaults yeah. and you know, as that those people are wont to do. But it just seems like um, No, Nick's a skull and bones. Like Nick Nick straight away he's gonna wanking in a coffin and tell these secrets and first first day in yeah. college he's gonna be Lehman Brothers high five in George Bush Absolutely, Junior yeah, and yeah. You know. But he has that attitude and and uh, take no prisoners and you know uh, you know cut kill the baby you know and then throw it out with the bathwater. He doesn't give a fuck, and he's telling everybody else like you, you have to not give a fuck. And yet when he sees a box of toy trains, he's like, "Ooh, trains!" Yeah. Like so, it does show that he is being hard. And he helps Tom. Poor poor Tommy. He gives him information about where to get a cheap yes. tuxedo. <laughs> yeah. They also sell them it's, at a better reasonable price. It's better to buy Tom. <laughs> you, and, and Tom is basically like, "Yes, all of what what what, what did he say?" My, my, is, it, is it the cheapest social life you'll find? New York, the 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 booze is free, the dinners are free. All you need is a good tuxedo, two bow ties, one white, one black. Yeah, <laughs> but but Tom has this word for like, it's one of your Garrett Sack words. It's like a, a you know for for expendable income. Oh yeah, he, when he, keep, he keeps saying, and he goes, "I haven't got much. I've got limited resources." Yes, yeah, <laughs> something like that. But he says there's like a protrusiveness. There's a word that he I, I don't know. I'm just making it up. The word, but like he says this word, and he's like, uh, my. Uh, has been has been running low of late and he's like I basically I can't afford to buy a tuxedo but I'm also spending all the money on fucking renting these tuxedos because I'm out every weekend like I'm after, I'm absolutely smashed yeah. it just seems so um there, there it does like vacillate between like ch- like childish wonder and mm-hmm. uh, uh I think like pre-adult self-awareness do you know what they don't know the what the way the world works and yet they have to act like they do yeah, but it wasn't until i watched this i've seen it's this like movie. the breakfast club but it's like in tuxedo it's like the brunch yeah. club oh, or it's, the, it's definitely the high the high tea yeah club. right until i watched it this time i didn't realize like how much i can kind of relate to this movie because i i went to a college where a lot of people were extremely privileged and wealthy mm. and i didn't have two beans and I, I remember like, the, you know, there would constantly be tuxedo parties, you know, and I wouldn't be able to go because I didn't have a tuxedo or could wear, afford to rent Wear a tuxedo sh- sh- t-shirt. <laughs> well, like, you know, so like a Trinity, you know, Trinity, they have the Trinity ball, but there's also all these other balls. There's a masked ball and people have like, I don't know if they still do, but you know, when I was in college, they would have parties like this and you, you know, you occasionally get invited and you'd be like the weird poor people, Yeah, you know, that people would come over and you'd be chatting to a girl and then her friends would come and be like, he's not really wealthy enough to talk to. They're the ones that, that you'd be invited to and then they'd like see if they could play some kind of weird like social trick on you or something to get you to say a phrase and then you say it and you and everyone goes, hey, because like they had made a bet before you came Hors in. Hors de yeah. yeah, it's it seems. What's these petty pies? <laughs> yeah. But it just seems uh, it seems that uh, Tom was kind of on the outside and ended up being the, the, 
the moral fiber of the group after but all the know? nice thing about this the fantasy of this movie is that totally they- like cock totally unsucked like he's he will not <laughs> tom the reason tom will stay in the middle yeah or poor Mm-hmm. is because he doesn't have that killer instinct he won't go in for the shift with audrey he won't do anything he won't you know take the opportunity to if to, only he'd had you to, to go to the, for the shift. i'm sure he had nick to tell him he, and he wasn't listening man nick is like you gotta fucks you gotta fucks with that shit just take what you want <laughs> motherfucker like just just grab it grab it oh trains like it was just a weird uh, uh, uh you know uh, uh flaccidity in his character that he just wouldn't just get the horn and fuck it and he like if you don't do that you will end up you know not successful sitting around lamenting your fucking sure sure there's a weird scene where there's like a blue dream flash forward kind of a thing where audrey who is tom's love and this is kind of the crux of the movie um audrey who who is was a a played by Carolyn Farina, who was, at the at the time, a critic's darling, she was called. Um, yeah, it's weird that she didn't... She's only ever been in other with Stillman movies. And yes. I looked at her IMDb, and there's, like, one movie being made this year that she's going to be in. Mm-hmm. But she was really great in all those movies. She said, when she was asked why we in no, no other movies, uh, she said it's because it wasn't blonde. <sighs> she, did she, if only someone had told her about hair dye, she would have changed yeah. her life. Also, I think she wouldn't suck somebody's dick. You know, the groom... Which, is, which I think is the... Like, I'm not blonde... <sighs> There's a grim reality about that. Like now we're you know, seeing it though. I, I'm sure that's people who got, who succeeded without that, but they probably were coming from Hollywood families or from yeah. some other access. Yeah, um, but she's so charming. This she's really charming, really she delightful. Was, she was called the modern day Audrey Hepburn yeah. at the time, and there was big hopes pinned yeah. on her on her future. Now, the story between her and Tom is that she went to Cynthia, who was Tom's previous beau or object of affection, and Tom had written all these beautiful. Oh, it's Serena. Is it Serena? There's a oh, Cynthia, Cynthia is with Cynthia Nick. And a Serena. Uh, with, with Rick, sorry, sorry. <laughs> he's with Serena. He, he's in love with her. Yeah. And he's sending her all these letters. And she kept them all. And at the end, we're, we're having, you know, the debrief you have when you're like, come here, listen, I fancied you for ages and I never got to fuck you, but I still have to have some kind of a closure. So I'm going to have this really awkward conversation <laughs> with you where I tell you how I feel, even though you don't care, but it's just for me and it's not for you. I'm, and you're a woman, so you're going to have to put up with it anyway. I'm not angry with you. Otherwise, I I'd just have, want you to know that yeah, if things yeah. are a bit different, I would be inside you. He's saying, uh, like, if you had to let me fuck you, I totally would have. And this is going to save me a thousand angry wanks. <laughs> but yeah, she so she, she kept lets him down real nice, and it's just real. You know, it's very. Oh, you took it, you took it that way that she let him down. Yeah. I think at the end they kind of get together. No, no, no. With Serena, I'm saying he's oh, kind Serena, of, yeah. He's doing this breakup yeah. thing, and he's like, "But well, listen, I wrote you all these letters," yes, and she's like, yes, "I threw yes. them all away," and he's yeah. like. Well, I mean, if one was to put the effort into writing a letter, <laughs> I, I, you know, it's it, it's a it's a personal communication. I would keep yeah. them. Any letters that I've been written, handwritten, I've kept them. And she's like, yeah, I didn't keep them. I was just, I wasn't bothered. I didn't throw them away, even, though. I gave them to this other chick. But that's the thing. She goes, I, I, yeah. eventually she goes, okay, I didn't throw them away. And he's like, oh, what did you do with them? Oh, there was this girl that fancied you. She called her and she wanted them. So I just gave them to her. And he's like, you fucking What? <laughs> He ended up giving them to Audrey, and through yeah. the whole movie, you find out that Audrey's in love with Tom, which is such a sweet, like it's it an is. weird it's pure twist, innocent. But it's so it's like she's obviously an oddball. But it comes. But at, from those letters, she fell in love. She fell in love with Tom before the movie even started. Yeah. In that time, yeah. like that's the whole point. Which is so interesting because it's it's. I'm not sure if it necessarily makes sense when you yeah. watch the movie because she doesn't really act like that at the beginning. Doesn't seem to know who he is, but at the same time, it's a lovely, it's a lovely little dalliance, and it shows how the difference between how men 
view Mm -hmm. romance and sex and how women view romance and sex where she's reading all those letters and building something up in her head about how Tom is and going yeah and I'm in love with him and I'm like not all men Gordo there are some women men like me who view it in the same way well I mean you would view it in not you personally but like the the Toms of the world are viewing (laughs) it like yeah and all I have to do is just do this and then she'll touch it like it's kind of like there's a there's a oh definitely not that there's a different the way what I'm saying the way Tom and Nick and Rick mm-hmm. and all of these guys are going it's like oh yeah you, first you get the money then you get the power then you get the women and it's the women are like first you get the letters then you imagine what they're actually really like and then you meet them and your hopes and dreams are dashed but you have to put up with it anyway because it's as good yeah. as you're going to get there's, like, a, there's a line a weird thing, there's like, a line that Nick says about von Sloniger he says very cynical yeah. about love at Christmas well, time but you know what I mean he, sa- he says it's, inc- <laughs> it's incredible the eagerness of girls like you to justify the worst bastards imaginable as being sensitive and shy but if a guy who was really shy dared talk to you you wouldn't give him the time of day your eyes would glaze over <laughs> That's and that's the attitude that they have towards women whereas the yeah. women have a different attitude towards yeah. the men like they're calling the women like oh you slut or you know uh, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. Sally is slapping slapping Rick in the face for mm-hmm. insulting her to her face mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. then like two scenes later you find out that the two of them were having sex like mm-hmm. and then she goes I thought you said she was a slut and he's like yes a beautiful slut and she's like eh, well I got the cock so I don't care like it's just not how you would imagine it to be and there was a lot of different female characters there mm-hmm. Jane like the dark haired one Audrey the, the, the critic's darling the Audrey Hepburn style like she the all different characters of women and were represented as with, as with men's movies go on they become yeah. much more about the women so the first couple are very much focused on the male characters but the, the later movies are like are the last days of disco is like two girls last days of disco um being sexual beings <laughs> damsels in distress and that's on my list after watching this now like that's my first stillman movie <laughs> Last Days of Disco is for my downtime and I will be watching it. It's good. Damsels in Distress I think is probably the best one. It's a yeah. mu- it's a musical so if that puts you off don't watch it. I know I'm into musicals. But it's, I'm good. It's, it's good. Uh, it's, very, it's, very, it's very like this film. Very witty. Very urbane. Very slow paced. But it has the music kind of and the cinematography is on an more adult level yeah so they kind of make it more of a coherent film Stillman, his, Stillman abandoned his uh, his copy of how to direct a movie for those ones I guess right? <laughs> yeah. I think his newest movie is, is, is pretty terrible though he has a period uh, drama which doesn't really yeah. do anything for me but uh, okay. no it's just like the, the way it, this is just so innocent and it's kind of a roll of the dice and it is like Stillman's clerks because mm-hmm. it's clunky and it has lots of like uh, you know superfluous dialogue parts yeah that, it's clerks without necrophilia yeah it's clerks in you know uh, posh uh, you know upper manhattan mm-hmm. apartments that you know are worth seven digits now at the moment like it's it's very much uh, uh, an american pie for that class of people you know? it, it is like it's, this is a cliche but it's one of those movies that is going to be very divisive you could literally and i've done this you know watch it with someone and i'd be laughing my head off and they're just looking looking stony faced and awkward yeah. and shuffling their I seat. wouldn't be laughing my head off now. Well I wouldn't judge you because some of the some of the lines are funny. They're very they're very witty. Whether you like the kind of humour you're gonna know. Yeah. If if you like like say Stephen Fry, if you like that kind of like yeah. his like the liar, uh that kind of thing, the hippopotamus, those kind of books if you like wittiness, if you like your Jane Austen, then this is absolutely going to do it for you. Yeah. If you're, if you need more cinematography, if you need more action, otherwise a movie just gets dull for you, you absolutely will hate this yeah. film. And like I said, first 20 minutes, just push past, push past that first 20 minutes and it starts to be like, ah, uh, it starts to unravel then. Do you know? Um, it's, it's a, it's a, a lubeless uh, wheelchair accessible toilet ride Fucking for the first 15 minutes because you're just like this is not a thing I want 
But eventually, 13 minutes and 45 seconds in, you get your first laugh and you're like, oh, that's what this is. Mm-hmm. Promise you, 13 minutes, 45 seconds. <laughs> um, so what we like to do here on uh, White Press Play is an alternative casting. Mm. And I understand, Garrett, you have some people. I also have some people. I'd be interested to see who, I, I'd imagine we'll get at least one in common. Maybe not. Maybe so not. We'll, we'll go with your best supporting first mm-hmm. and, and talk about who you liked as an actor and then give us the alternative cast for that actor. And then we might do the rest of them. So who is your, who is your uh, best supporting character well for me Chris Eigman actually takes it away as Nick Nick, Smith just that bitter humour that cynicism that wittiness he wears a top hat at one point he's He's an awful cunt but he's lovable (laughs) he's a lovable cunt exactly yeah not I I think to be fair not unlike yourself a lovable cunt I have been described as lovable and I have been described as a cunt rarely two in one to me I think you are like you're you're, you stand by your your morals you speak your mind you're honest to the point of insult, but you're pure of heart and you don't have harm in your heart. And that's what ah. I think Nick has. He, he he doesn't know any better. Not that you don't know any better. I mean, he doesn't because that's how he's been <laughs> grown up. You make these decisions to live the life mm. you live. and, and Yeah, d- despite how ineffective and, it is. Bra- no, brazenly. Like not a lot of people would say like, you know, the stuff, some of the stuff that you say or admit to some of the stuff you admit to because they're like, oh, no, that's not cool. Like not that you're not cool. It's, I'm, it's, I'm not even but you're not I'm even, wearing a teddy bear yeah but you don't try with, with, it's a uh, totally different thing apples. you know so like I think Nick is probably the closest a mix between Nick and uh, uh, Nick and Tom I'd love to be Nick I wouldn't want to be Tom I don't think I think Tom goes on to a long and bitter life probably in the priesthood he, as well, he did in, in real, real life. life yeah no I mean there's a there's a there's a soft side to you that I don't think you show to many people and I've seen it on rare occasion over the last <laughs> I think nearly 10 years I know you um yeah, Nick is, you're a soft, you're a nicer Nick. That's why I think you like him so much, because you're like, oh, I wish I could be that much of a cunt. Which and you, I wish I'd have the money to get away with that kind it. of life. That's, yeah, that's maybe the thing you're missing, yeah. is loads of money. You know what, if I, if anyone out there would like to adopt me, I, I'm, a, I'm a 37-year-old man, but, you know, my parents didn't do like the best sugar, Like job. a sugar poppy. Well, you know, somebody. look, it's not going to be a sexual thing unless, you know, they're, you know. The right money. <laughs> unless it's really, we're really talking real money. But but I'll be yeah. I'll be a son to you. I'll make you proud. Yeah. I'll do, I'll, I will have a yacht and I'll do the Instagram pictures, all the things that your son would do. I'm thinking that you, you are so abhorrent to the idea of being Tom because it could have actually very much been <laughs> part of your reality. You could yeah. have went down that. If I'd managed to get in with these fucks. That's what I mean, the ineffectual, <laughs> uh, uh, you know, the ineffectual religious hardline you know yeah a, a, a political a social youth it could have happened if you didn't like break from that poopa of yeah wherever you were in. um yeah i think charlie black is my one uh taylor nichols and his uh, and because i like him because i identify with him too he's the guy who's like not really sure of himself he's not really sure of his station uh he's questioning his existence and I think if those guys were all smoking weed, that he would definitely be there. Like, guys, did you ever think that this is not a reality? Like, he's that dude. Uh, but in that setting, uh, it, it, I think it's very, very funny. So well, you, for, you might like uh, Barcelona, the uh, kind of follow-up movie, because he's in that. Oh, uh, really? He and I, Eichmann are both in it. They play... Of their own characters. Um, you know, they're not the same characters, but they're basically the same characters. I think, yeah, that's what it said about um, The Last Days of Disco, that Carolyn Farina r- reprises her role as like a grown-up Audrey, but it's, she's called yeah. differently and she's... Well, she's a, no, she's actually Audrey. Is she called Audrey? I think she's the it? only one who's herself, but the other characters... Ah. Are, some of the other actors play very similar characters. Yeah. I don't know why he bothered making them different, but... Is this like is this like the Judd Apatow crowd that just never took off? 
Yeah, it's, because it's, like Seth Rogen and J- and James Franco and Jason Siegel were all in Freaks and Geeks together, and that was their first acting gig properly. Like all of those guys all came up together and all supported each other, yeah. and became like super successful and famous. To be like, to be this fair, crowd to them, could have done that, but they just didn't. Yeah, well, to be fair, like all the Seth Rogens, they were all brilliantly talented comedians and improvisers yeah. these guys weren't these guys were first time actors that looked out they were great in, in what they did but it's not like they were the kind of broad spectrum talent that could host Saturday right. Night Live or whatever you right, know right, right. Um, so those people I don't necessarily like every Judd Apatow movie but you can't deny the talent of the people he works with like yeah. they're brilliant performers and consistent performers The uh, so so I think this crowd <laughs> I don't want to live in the universe where these guys become the Judd Apatows because they're you know it would be uh, they're, 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 it's a very sweet view of of really atrocious social privilege. Yeah. And I have a very, I have a fondness for that kind of fictional, warm-hearted view of what super wealthy people are like in their drawing rooms. But in, in reality, like, it's pretty horrible that the yeah. world ha- has that kind of inequality. You know, we all got to be in the drawing room. It would be great. And also, but we don't. their reality is probably not as, you know, flamboyantly extravagant and you know enjoyable as as it's projected on any mm-hmm. of these movies and stuff like they have no family life they have no home life these people are barely scrabbling on to keep these people around them as friends because it's like oh we, we all know what it's like to be like rich but alone and come on let's all be alone together and then they're all like no I'm yeah. going around being rich to be catching up on so this is a good double bill with Foxcatcher if you want to see what it's really like uh, at the I've top I've seen that with Steve Carell oh stunning film. is it rough it is bleak Brilliant. as bejesus. Love it. Lo- I'll watch that. It's still not as bleak as The True Story, which is a, a documentary. I think it's on Netflix. It's about like uh, uh, boarding school rugby. No, no. It's or a, boat, boat, boat racing? What's no, it? it's a, it's about a guy who's from an enormously wealthy, privileged uh, background who is, who is somehow mentally disabled in a way that no one's quite sure what's wrong with him, who takes over a wrestling team and makes them the wrestling. all-american he basically pays for them to go to the olympics right right but he is homoerotically interested in the young wrestlers and he is getting increasingly detached from reality he has a fixation on guns and he has them all living on his estate is this the steve carell character yeah oh my and God. he is steve carell i don't know if he got the oscar for that but he deserved it he's incredible he's yeah he's been knocking about the park recently yeah fuck I, that actually it, yeah I'm going to watch that that's, that's you know so that's good. another one there's a recommendation a wrestling one I knew it was something Foxcatcher. something fancy um, so yeah this alternative cast then we get into it uh, for, for for Nick who did you have for your alternative cast for him okay so I think of the young generation of witty kind of urbane actors there's only one that screams cunt but is possibly likeable go ahead Miles Teller who's oh from uh, the the, uh, the Drummond movie what was that one called um, again Whip Whiplash, Whiplash. Yeah. and he's yeah, and he's in a bunch of movies. Very good. Yeah. He's in he's in one where he plays an arms dealer. Yeah, with uh, Jonah Hill. Jonah Hill. Yeah, yeah. very good. That's a good one. Uh, I had somebody who could be a dour cunt, but also has like a comedy streak. Zach Braff. Oh, he's so soft. Though. Yeah, he is. But oh. Nick is kind of soft Nick too. Nick is kind of soft. Hard. Maybe a very young Zach Braff. Young Zach Braff. Yeah, like yeah. scrub Zach Braff. Scrub Zach Braff. Um, pre pre uh, directorial debut Zach Braff when he still had hope and a twinkle in his eye, <laughs> and reality hadn't caught up with him. I wonder what happened come out about him like getting fiddled by somebody. He seems like someone who who oh my god could be a victim. Let's not wish that on. I really don't. I really hope not. Uh, Seth Green also. I'm waiting for him to say something. Uh, there's a few just a few heads I've been looking at going speculating you know um, who else who else have we got then uh, uh, so, for, so for Audrey okay the, the short haired uh, uh, 
Damsel. Damsel, yes. The, the, the sweet, the sweet heart. innocent Audrey, and who's only uh, ever been in love with one boy in my life. The, the literal, like, quintessential debutante. Yes. Who is being introduced to groups of people of more than four for the first time, I think, in her life, and who is like, I'm in love and I don't know what to do with my vagina. <laughs> um, Carolyn Farina, who was, you know, Overlooked, I think, as a, an Audrey, the second Audrey Hepburn. Really, really, really was. Good, yeah. Really good actress. Who did you have for her? Kerry Mulligan. Who's who's Kerry Mulligan? Now, where, Kerry where Mulligan is, I suppose, uh, I know mostly from Shame. Let's do a quick IMDb on her. She's like she's in numerous movies. She's a very successful. She's in Drive. Um, she's the oh yeah the romantic uh, lead in Drive. Um, what else would be it? Never yeah, let me go. If anyone's seen that movie, she's got those got got those like my eyes can tell a story eyes. She has a sweet sadness to her. Yeah. And she's not like conventionally like red hot attractive, but yeah. she's beautiful. Yeah. And she has this, uh, an innocence balanced with kind of a slight, with intelligence and with a slight cynicism. I think she'd be perfect. Who did you have? I had Molly Ringwald. Oh, the actual Molly Ringwald. Actual Molly Ringwald from the time. <laughs> instead of instead of second rate Molly Ringwald. Instead of, yeah, just like uh, monochrome, monochrome Molly, just with black hair. She is very Molly Ringwald-esque she is. in her way, she is. Uh, Farina was. And um, I think like after that 16 Candles, that whole uh, uh, John Hughes kind of era movies mm. that she was in, she, she never really took off. She never really got into, she didn't transition like a lot of the other ones did, like Reese Witherspoon transitioned into stuff. And um, Reese Witherspoon is transgender. <laughs> she tra- she transitioned from like a, a much younger kind of ditzy actress mm-hmm. into like a producer, director, mm-hmm. self made woman, all this kind of stuff. Or other. Uh, uh, I have so much other actresses that there's you somebody fall who, apart a little bit like not fall apart with, with is Reese really Bidisman, bad to there's say, someone who like, saw like a dark Hollywood childhood like yeah fucked and, and amazing that she's like fucked. still going and like and doing it all for women man she's she's producing she's buying all these spec scripts that are all like female centric uh, the first of which was that that walking movie uh, what was it called uh Oh, I've seen this. What's it called? Walk. No, it's not called walk. Run. Walk. Mountain. Uh, stroll. Wild. Wild. Good Wild. man, Gareth. There we yes. go. I didn't even look it up. She bought. She bought uh, the spec script for that and made it and put herself in it and and that made enough money to make two more and those two made enough to make four more and so she has a lot of like female centric yeah. stuff coming she's, out. She's great. That's a great. really enjoyable movie. She's brilliant. And she made a TV show, uh, Big Little Lies. Okay, that's I haven't really seen that. class. Stars Nicole Kidman as well. Whopper, nine episodes of fuck your mind up. Okay. You can check it out on Netflix. Class shit. Um, but Molly Ringwald didn't get that opportunity. She didn't get that. You know, Julianne Moore transition from, uh, you know, beautiful young actress into talented. Yeah. You know, uh, 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 strong, confident, still beautiful you know older what? woman who, who's a, getting Oscars and shit. Like this is a Molly Ringwald just got dropped off. But. You got to take risks. Like uh, Julianne yeah. Moore did uh, shortcuts with Robert Altman. Yeah. And you know she did full frontal nudity. I'm not saying that you got to do that, but you know you got to do you got to take a serious, yeah. hard role. When when you're at your peak, you got to do what Ryan Gosling did and yeah. do a few like really edgy movies. You don't go straight from the Notebook to being a serious actor. Lars and the Real Girl was the turning point for him. He and did, even though it wasn't a commercial success or it wasn't actually like that famous, that was the thing that taught him the, he, the manners to he, go. He on did Lars and the, and the Real Girl, but he also did another movie, Half Nelson. Yeah, as well. Yeah, yeah and Blue yeah. Valentine, of course. But yeah. those three are just killer yeah. young performances yeah. of like here this guy is going to go somewhere Blue and Valentine I think was one of his best movies I think all three of those like could, he, ma- he made it yeah, stunning yeah. films absolutely Half Nelson he's on crack the whole way through the movie and 
I've, it, it, he manages to be likable and also broken and it's yeah, just it's, it's a, an almost a reprieve of that type of character in uh, Only God Forgives as well that kind of fucked up bro and then Drive is so like super dark mm-hmm. silent super dark broody it's not about his sex or it's not about mm-hmm. it, you know the notebook was kind of like the fucking the bean flicker but Drive was like <laughs> that was what, the original title for this show right? <laughs> the bean flicker welcome to the bean flicker with, with me the bean um Drive was one of those ones where fellas are like, oh, is that your man off the notebook? Wait a minute. What the fuck? Oh, look at that. Oh, that's cool. Like, it turned everybody on to the Ryan Gosling. Bring me that Gosling. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, so for for uh, for Tom then, little simple Tom with this, the lining in his jacket, the, the, the previously rich boy living uh, yeah. of ramen noodles in uh, you're gonna, you're gonna laugh. upper I, Manhattan. I've actually written young Ryan Gosling. Is it young Ryan? You fucker! Yeah. I had now. This is this one is a joke and one is real. I had Seth Green. Oh, that's perfect because he's a little weirdy loser. I haven't seen him in movies for so long; it wouldn't yeah. occur to me. But Seth Green would be brilliant. Um, he has those, he has those qualities of like I I don't really believe in myself, mm-hmm. but I really do. Yes, he 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 was, and I had to look this up now to go into it. He's a Fourierist socialist, which is, and that comes out in the first few minutes. Yeah, which and means he literally uh, believes that yeah. people should live in a compound yeah. together in this like communist dictatorship. Yeah. <laughs> collect- he's, he's a collectivist. He's, yeah. like, he's into collectivization, and he's like, you but know, he's like picked the most the most untrendy form of extreme communism yeah. just to have a little thing to talk about. And, ev- and everybody's like, are you, are you really like that? And everything he does, <laughs> they're all like, oh yeah, you're a Fourierist, all right. And <laughs> it's just so funny how there's a, there's it's a, a great it's a, it's a, it, like oh yeah, you're socialist. I'm actually for years. Like it's a it's there's a in, great callback to that where some. Somebody, uh, somebody says, uh, oh, I remember you wrote a long letter to Serena about agrarian socialism. I think that was one of the things that set Alice Dreyer off about Marxism. Since then, she's joined the Red Army Underground. If she blows herself up, it's going to be your fault. Yeah. <laughs> that is so odd to come <laughs> yeah, out with yeah. in the thing, like as a, as a jeer, like, oh, yeah, you think you're a socialist? Ooh. It's so uh, 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 obscure. And that was yeah. the only thing I went and looked up because mm-hmm. I was like, that's that must be important because there's like 60, 70 seconds of dialogue about it. I haven't got a notion what a four years was. No, I neither. I had to when I saw this movie. I, I had to look it up and yeah. come across it. Then later, and you're like, ah, that's what yeah, that it's is. nice. It's nice. So I had my real choice uh, is a young Tom Lennon, who who's in Reno nine one one. He has that awkward confidence. It's awkward confidence. It's like I'll do it, but I'm not sure. And the character would perfectly fit hmm. the characters that he's played before. Hmm. You can see it, right? Yeah, I guess so. Like a gingery blondie, Tom Lennon. <laughs> um, so for Charlie, uh, who is the uh, the self examination, uh, self examining, you know, uh, down, <laughs> downward mobility, uh, fear fear monger, uh, like he's the he's the nerdy, like what about us? Um, I I really liked him. He's played by. Taylor Nichols. Mm. Uh, who did you who did you have for him, or did you have anybody for him? I didn't. You know what? I didn't have anybody. But I'm gonna go. I'm just gonna go mad with this one. I get play against type a young John Belushi. Uh, okay, holding it back, holding it back like a like a very posh version of Animal House. Yeah, he's like the anarchist. <laughs> Animal gonna, Dollhouse. Yeah, I'm gonna drink a whole bottle of champagne and all, all in one go. <laughs> uh, I had somebody like uh, Michael Fassbender, huh? Who could sit and wear the glass and just go, hey, you know what? I'm just I trying to imagine the movie that would contain all of the talent that we're pushing into yeah. it. It would be I don't I don't know what that movie would be like. I yeah. can't even like an Ocean's Eleven. Yeah, <laughs> but all in one room in New York. Uh, the Fassbender style when I watched him in something like Frank, he's able mm. to play that kind of uh, uh, a man unsure of himself, mm-hmm. and also the fact that uh, 
Charlie in this had like a longing for Audrey and mm-hmm. tried to profess his love to her and she's got very awkward and it's like I walk away there was that whole thing in, in Frank and that like watching Frank really changed my opinion of Fassbender and what he could do I thought he was just this you know uh, uh, good looking face and he's just a name to throw on the stuff or whatever really talented dude like I, I, I'd, I'd love to see more of him and uh, he'd definitely be a good Charlie throw some glasses on him and a little quaff and he'd be away um, so for the girls I think they were kind of interchangeable to me to be honest uh, Jane was the dark long dark haired uh, yeah uh, she's, she's a pretty blank canvas she is she yeah. is but she's cynical and her uh, she only becomes effective in the last third of the movie the last I, I will say is uh, a criticism of this movie is that you're not really sure what the relationships are between the characters yes. I wasn't for I'm still not sure if Jane is Nick's sister yeah. or it's kind of not it's, really it, explained. You come in halfway through, and all good stories like yeah. they start uh, like a third of the way in, anyway. You know, so but the women are underwritten. They're they definitely, are, definitely Audrey are. is the only one that has a character really. Yeah. Sally Fowler is meant to be just a, I guess. A oh, no, no, that's that's Jane, Cynthia. Yeah, See, that's how interchangeable the they are. Yeah. Cynthia is the slut. I had for Cynthia, I had Br- uh, Brittany Murphy. Brittany Murphy, okay, because she's going out with uh, who did you have for Nick again? Um, I w- had for Nick Miles Teller. So Miles Taylor is going out with Brittany Murphy and they kind of hate each other and they kind of like <laughs> each other. And, you know, you could see them ending up together. Yeah. Uh, the Brittany Murphy type that's in, you know, she has the attitude of this movie, but the actions of her uh, her um, character from 8 Mile or whatever. I'd go Juno Temple for, uh, for oh, Cynthia. Yeah? Where, where's Juno? Who's Juno Temple from? So Juno Temple is in a ton of movies. She has a small role in The Dark Knight. Um, she, I guess Horns would be her biggest role. Do you know that movie that oh, was made yeah, from yeah, Stephen yeah. King's son's graphic novel? Yes, with um, Daniel Radcliffe. With Daniel Radcliffe, yeah, and yeah, she's yeah, the love yeah. interest. She's a really strange yes. actress on Odd. screen, really. But she has that kind of very sexual nymphette, mm. but also quite serious, but also quite demented. I think she'd be an amazing Cynthia. Yeah, but you need a bit of demented for Cynthia. So Brittany Murphy. Jane is the long, dark-haired, kind of uh, broody, cynical one. And she's the one at the end that kind of seals Nick's fate with the group. And she's also the one who tells the boys, like, have a nice night on your own, boys. I'm out on a date and just be out of the house by midnight. Like, it's kind of like, you three have nowhere else to go so you can hang out in my house when I'm not there, but I'm not going to be there because mm-hmm. I'm out having fun. Yeah, fucking losers. <sighs> oh. uh, I think she only came into her own in the last act and mm-hmm. she could be very well played by Selma Blair, huh. who is very similar in most of the characters that she plays, especially those characters of like, you know, haughty upper class women who eventually turn into cunts very, very uh, strongly towards the end of the movie. So like from Legally Blonde or from Cruel Intentions, she played that, you know, that cunty bitch who just held her lip and held her lip until she could finally go, ha ha. Um, there wasn't enough time in this movie for her to get her comeuppance, mm-hmm. but I mean, that wasn't her function, I guess. And then uh, we had Sally, who was, um, I think, very well represented by Dylan Hundley. Uh, we didn't see her in anything else. After no, never it. again. But uh, and but she's sort of the queen of the queen bee. Yeah, she's the, it's, it's the Sally the Fowler hen. rat pack. So presumably yeah. her family are the wealthiest and have the nicest apartment. And I think she would have been very well uh, uh, replaced by, and we've talked about it before, but Reese Witherspoon. I mm. have on the list. That's why I was talking about so much that she has that kind of. You know, I can take care of this. Uh, you know, I have it all under control. And come on now, guys. You know, st- you know, she's very much um, the mother hen and very much a, a kind of an organizer, which Reese has about her, like about her character or whatever. I went with uh, Chloe Grace Moritz. Yeah, that could be done as well. Mm. There's a few that could play her, like those strong, uh, strong female characters. It could be like even a, a, a young Meryl Streep from the movie with Dustin Hoffman. What's, this? What's the name? 
uh, Kramer, not Kramer, Kramer versus, versus Kramer. Kramer versus Kramer. Yeah. She's in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that character of like, I have it all done, and, rah, 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 and they're like just like, buttoning it all down. And it was like Kramer versus Kramer, like the the teenage years before you know you got bitter and wanted a divorce and wanted to take just your husband the love for story part of it. Yeah, it's it's just uh, you know the 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 fact that she knows her destiny. And she's trying to go like, look, I'm just out to have fun and I'm going to have as much fun as possible because I'm a serious woman. Uh, uh, Reese kind of, for me, would encapsulate mm-hmm. that because you've seen that in real life. And then for Rick, the the slick Rick, uh, mm. the, the the sexy boy. Oh, this is interesting now. You know, a dirty pup who's out to... The wicked Von yeah, out to do it. So uh, who would you have for, for slick Rick? A young Jared Leto. Very good. He would do that. I had Christian Bale. <gasps> Even better. Even, you're, you're good at this yeah that, I, th- you're a very, I would have to say all your picks are, are excellent I thought long and hard about it he could be in, Christian Bale could be an awful cunt yeah he really and could and he was in a few different things and in real life apparently <laughs> but he um, allegedly he uh, no not allegedly just recording of it yeah. shouting at fuckers but I think he has that kind of like that slick back like I can yeah I, I you know he well, can he pass for that American character. Psycho I mean absolutely yeah. and Von Sloniger grew, presumably grew up to be I think it's a prequel it could be a prequel <laughs> to that but yeah that's I mean that's the that's the alternative casting for me there's, there's a couple others like Serena and Fred and stuff like that that I think are just like bit parts mm-hmm. there was one dude and he might as well have been wearing a lampshade for the whole fucking film <laughs> he'd come in and go wait a minute what's going on shut the fuck up dude sit back in your chair get your money and fuck off you know um, but the, like it was a terribly underfunded movie I, I think very much underappreciated mm-hmm. and like I said I think it is that first 15 minutes like you know you can only make a first impression once and this movie doesn't make a good one but Whit Stillman wrote a fucking whopper script if you want to get you know some some marble mounted uh, uh, <laughs> uh, you know solilo- soliloquy laden comedy it is funny yeah but it's not like you know if you're used to Dumb and Dumber or if you're used to uh, you know, the the, the the longest yard or some kind of some fucking little Nicky or Big Daddy or no, it's fifty first dates or some that, bullshit. It's neither is it. It's not like we, I kept mentioning Jane Austen, but it's not like a BBC adaptation no. of a, of a Edwardian Victorian it's natural language. It's all it's, natural. It's very language. natural, and it does have some dirty jokes and it has some scandalous characters and stuff. It's very slow, but it's very witty and again if you like that kind of verbal humor if you mm. like um characters just cutting each other down with their tongues you have to be tuned in though it's not a, it's not a movie you'd watch like while you're on your phone yep. you have to be absolutely, watching absolutely yeah it's it's very, there's not that many visual cues that you would miss yeah. there's not that many like uh vis- it's not like watching you know like a, a a thriller mystery where if you miss something visual it'll tell you like oh the key is under the mat around it's just like the mood will be broken in the yeah. first third of the movie because it's like cut, 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 cut. And the, the way you know you're in a different room, they're all done visually. And it's not done by uh, yeah. uh, Stillman. It's done by the, the DOP, which is really, I think it's visual storytelling for as much of the story that he could tell, which is a really nice, like you don't yeah. you ever see that in a movie, I don't think, where the director doesn't have control over that. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it's like the real expression of the cameraman. Um I, I would definitely recommend this movie if uh, we, we, we do a thing at White Press Play called One Reason Why. So if you're flicking through a Netflix queue, you come up on the cover of this and you're like, oh, this is a brilliant movie. The lads <laughs> talked about this on the show. Let's give the people some ammunition to help their girlfriends or boyfriends understand uh, why they should watch this movie. So, Gareth, your one reason why uh, we should watch this film if we were to convince someone to watch it. So in my in my imagination, you're sitting there on the couch, you know, you're a couple, maybe, you know, not to not to. Uh, increase the strength of any any gender norms but <laughs> maybe your girlfriend maybe your boyfriend maybe you got different tastes maybe the guy likes comedy your weeaboo pillow 
<laughs> maybe yeah, maybe your fiction, fictional stuffed girlfriend. Maybe the girl likes something that's um, more like um, Downton Abbey. Maybe this is a happy medium where we're in, you know, where it actually, I'm, I'm trying to think why. It's, I think it's actually very funny. And, but it's also not, um, it's not rooted in unreality or action. And it is a movie you have to actually watch. So mm. maybe there's a middle ground. Maybe it's, maybe it's a good movie that a couple or a couple of friends that have differing tastes. Maybe it's the guy who likes the Downton Abbey. How about that? How about that world? <laughs> Equality. That doesn't exist. Um, yeah. But, you know, maybe, maybe you've got their, you know, differing tastes. Maybe it's the one you can settle on. Um, yeah. And, and I say that now, I love this movie. I'm not just trying to begrudgingly, I, I, I recommend it. This Months one, ago. This is one of my favorite, one of my top five movies I'm producing this. I'm producing this podcast, like before we release even one episode, like in September, I think of yeah. August this year, I'm producing it since like 2000, the end of 2015, trying to get everything ready for it. And the first thing that I asked Garrett was, he's like, oh, you got to have that movie. And so um, my recommendation is kind of begrudging, not because I begrudge yeah. the movie, but because I'm aware that a lot of people will find it too slow. Um, and if that's, or, absolutely or, don't watch I, it if that's a problem. It's not an insult to you. A little bit pretentious. Oh, it's hella pretentious. Like a little bit pretentious. And I was watching it going, what has this cunt after fucking <laughs> making me? He's he taking the piss of him? Because yeah. he knew I had to watch the movie. He's like, I just waste 98 minutes of his time. Watch this. <laughs> but, but you know. But it's actually brilliant. And, yeah. you know, well healed. It is. It's, it's a it's a genuinely intellectual mm. movie. And it's a, it's a movie that, that has a lot of humor about itself and about its characters. And it's not precious at all. The characters are pretentious. I don't think the, the location is pretentious. But the, the movie, movie is absolutely is not. not. That's yeah. the thing. That's the thing I got from it. Where first impressions, you can only make first impression once. Uh, my one reason why would be you can watch something like Trading Places or you can watch oh, something like, uh, you know, um, House of Cards and all this stuff and see how like a higher cast caliber, caliber of yes absolutely caliber of human would live <laughs> and I don't think it doesn't really it looks into like most of that stuff leans into the stereotypes because not a lot of people in that class would watch TV right mm-hmm. and the people who would watch it are you know laden with with stereotypes about how those people act or talk or behave or whatever and the whole kind of like uh, you know let Oh, Mortimer, you want to make a dollar to see if this b- black guy can do as well as <laughs> Dan Aykroyd? Like, uh, yeah, okay, cool. Like, people, you know, rich men play games and shit like that. It's like Twilight Zone, Rod Serling stuff. It's like, mm. I'll make a bet that he can't keep his mouth shut for a year and then he cuts his own vocal <laughs> yeah. cords and all, you know, this fucking bullshit. <laughs> so, like, people have preconceived notions about how that class live. So is my, that a real episode of the Twilight yeah, Zone? Yeah, it is, yeah, yeah. <laughs> He has to stay in a box and not talk for a year and he gets a million dollars because he's new money and he's not as rich as these guys are super rich. Yeah. And the old, old lad sits over to him and he goes, I'll give you a million dollars if you shut the fuck up for a year. And he goes, I'll take that bet. Does he have to be in a box as well? Yeah, he stays in a box. And I draw watching. the line at the box. Uh, I don't know. It's only the Twilight Zone. But for this movie, the one reason why is because I think this is so unique in its telling of the tale of teenage angst and... Uh, you know, we've had our American Pie and we've had our, you know, st- our Stand By Me and our Stranger Things and our, you know, teen teen adventure movies, a coming of age movies. This is a coming of age of a class that I don't think any of us have any real experience of. And if anybody has got experience of it, they're not watching this film. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? And, uh, you know, there's loads of stuff about like the lower class and a lot of people taking advantage and a lot of movies about like, you know, uh, scumbags and, and, you know, chavs and that whole chav class is i think almost been mined to death for tv shows and for for stuff like that you know the love hate and these kind of mm. these kind of you know movie um 
trailer pack boys and all this kind of stuff white trash movies and, and tv shows this is a different class it's the same story it's a it's a it's a stand by me it's a it's an american pie it's a coming of age it's like how do i get to do the thing the thing and it shows a part of society that we we, we wouldn't usually get to see in a funny way that's funny to them mm-hmm. not a lot of people uh, you know there's a lot of people that would watch American Pie and go, oh, dick jokes and fart jokes and he rides his mother and he fucks a pie. Brilliant! But a lot of people from other parts of the world or from other like socioeconomic backgrounds would look at that and go, that's just puerile and mm-hmm. bullshit and I don't find that entertaining at all. Whereas like some witty, biting remarks like uh, can really make you chuckle. And there, there's something that we haven't said about this, which is that... I think maybe part of the reason it wasn't as successful as it as it might have been is less because it's so slow and stuff. It's more because in the nineties when this came out, the early nineties, people were really reacting against wealth and privilege, yes. and trickle down economics was not happening. Yeah, if it wasn't happening as promised, then people were pissed, man. And this movie is reactionary. All all of Whit Stillman's movies all come from a place of kind of wishing that the world still yeah. had essentially aristocrats wandering around being witty and whatever. You can enjoy this movie and you know for what it is and not agree with that. Like I, I, I definitely don't think that the world was a better place when when people really, whenever in nineteen hundred, yeah. people really had conversations yeah. like this because they had them because they had literally had slaves. And but shit. it's also wishful self criticism. It's going like I know we're flawed, but isn't it better to have us? That's the that's the part that 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 warms my heart a bit. It is yeah. that they are they're genuinely good hearted people who are trying to to have a sort of a classiness about them that yeah. isn't necessarily about money. Maybe it comes from because they have all this money, but the classiness that they're going for is more like a you know being culturally interesting and being yeah. engaged. And anybody can do that. Anybody can can read more and you know try and be a more interesting person and, and meet more interesting people. And there's something aspirational about that that isn't about the money. And this is the pre Paris Hilton generation. Yeah, because I think. If the representation of that class were this, a lot more people would have some respect for the 1% or whatever you would call that upper mm-hmm. class instead of this uh, unilateral disdain for mm. for white people. Well, I'm you, not don't saying, see, you don't see the people who aren't like Paris Hilton on television because they're not going to be Paris exactly. Hilton, you know. And, and you know, one of the guy who played Rick von Sloniger, I saw, I was looking about facts about him. He uh, he went to a school called the Dragon School. Oh, Christ. Which is some ludicrous upper That's crust like school in England. Where Batman learned how to be Batman. <laughs> <laughs> but like that you know there are there are lots of people like this who aren't yeah. all monsters um and maybe their privilege shouldn't exist but the, it doesn't mean that there is nothing to be said for yeah. high class culture per se we're all people after all folks we're all people after all so that's it for white press play for this time that was metropolitan uh directed by whit stillman uh from 1990 it is a, it is a movie i think you should watch like i said first 15 minutes very 30 minutes 45 <laughs> seconds you will get your first laugh and you will go ah i'm in um definitely yeah definitely go and watch it and uh, I'll put all the links for all the stuff that we talked about uh, in the description and uh, you'll be able to go and find all of the uh, the alternative castings and the uh, the links to all the stuff that we talked about on the website as well whypressplay.com uh, we're coming up to the Christmas season so if you wanted to feel generous and uh, drop a dollar in our uh, uh, gilded Patreon bucket uh, it's patreon.com slash whypressplay if you like the show and if you wanted to get in touch with Garrett and tell him how, how great he is or even argue with him about what he thinks about Europe for, for the most part actual fact you're on the beaches uh, at Garrett Stack on Twitter uh, and you can give him the shout out and uh, uh, and share your recommendations for movies with him you will be joining me again Garrett I do hope oh god <laughs> don't sound so happy with if it. I have to yeah it's good crack and uh, it's good to talk about it's good to talk about something like this with you because um, you know a lot of the time uh, it's the 
It's the same old stuff. This was something different for me. And, and, our, and our next conversation will be about something altogether more different. Yes. I, well, <laughs> <laughs> I, I await that. Um, yeah. So uh, if you want to get in touch with us at all, uh, info at whitepressplay.com. And uh, we're on all the social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Pinterest, Reddit, or slash whitepressplay. And we're in a Discord. So come in and talk about this movie and what you think about it. If you thought it was shite, if you thought it was too slow, uh, what you thought of the characters. And uh, some of the ass- assertions that we came to, uh, which was, you know, it's not that bad to be rich because you're still people. Do you know? They're rich. They still have the same problem. They still want you to put your dick in something. They still want people to love you and listen to you when you talk, you know? I suppose another way of thinking about it is here, well, there's so much new money now. There's so many wealthy people. Yeah. Here's a movie teaching them how not to be cunts. Yes. The not, the not to be cunt school. Finishing school for not cunts. That's what you need. Um, yeah, so if you want to join in on the games front, we do have a Twitch channel, twitch.tv slash play, and I'm going to be playing some PS4 games, some Steam games, and, uh, you know, a bit of Nintendo and a bit of uh, a bit of Mega Drive and stuff as well. So uh, I'd just like to say thanks so much to uh, one of our illustrious Patreon supporters and a friend of mine. I will count him as a friend, Jonathan. Uh, happy birthday to you, buddy. Uh, he's having a good happy birthday there and uh, he sent me over a bunch of gifts for Christmas which are much much appreciated including the Friday the 13th game which I'm willing to play with anybody if they want to be the the people that they chase around the forest and you know smash your chest into a spike in the garden or something like that I'm, I'm more than willing to do that uh, a dying light which I'll also be playing uh, on Twitch and and some of the David Paulides books uh, that's going to be on our missing 411 episode a lovely care package to get from the United States. So thanks very much, buddy, and happy birthday to you. Uh, so that's it for White Pass Play for this time. Thanks for joining me, Gareth. Thank you. Strat, you want to say to the folks before we go? Um, I'm glad you're still on Discord. I thought they kicked all the Nazis off. <laughs> get out of here, Nazis! Uh, so that's it. Yeah, that's it for this time on White Press Play. My name's Gordon. And my name's Gareth. And we'll see you again next time. Goodbye. Guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.